Uh, God. All right. Before we start, I need to mention just how emotionally vulnerable I am right now. I'm in a glass cage of emotion, and I need you to be gentle with me. I will be very kind to you today. Maybe. (laughs) We'll find out. Welcome back to the Fick List. Woohoo! Yay! I, it's been, well, it won't have been a second for you guys, but it's been a second for Aaron and I since yeah. we have recorded. Once again, I feel like we start every other episode <laughs> that way. I wonder why that might be. Because life is hard and we are adults. Yeah, we are. We do have to, like, pay bills and shit. We're here. We're queer. <laughs> and we're filled with existential fear. Yeah, we have some we have some whoppers of some fan fictions to talk to you about today. Erin, I gotta tell you, this week is gonna be full of me ranting. That's fair. So many rants for I me. am here for a good Alan rant because y'all haven't like really experienced one yet, but I Oof. have, and they're the best. I rant every day. It's not new. <laughs> like, you know, there's only so much ranting you can take from me before you're like, alright, enough. But you ranting? <laughs> it takes give a, it to me <laughs> I feel a lot but I'm a quiet and shy boy so yeah. like I keep it inside it takes a little while for you to warm up yeah. to be like oh I feel comfortable really expressing the deepness of these feelings right now alright so why don't we get into it Erin what are our tags today oh Alan today our tags are enemies to lovers ooh, ooh. saucy yeah it gets it gets real, guys. Um, this is the one that we're talking about. And then the other, the AU for today is historical AU, which admittedly, I had a beast of a time finding a fic to send you for this tag, yeah. and I didn't even really succeed. Like, <laughs> I will be the first to admit that the fic I sent you is not tagged historical AU. It's kind of said in a historical way, but it's not even really. So, like, I kind of skirted the assignment on this. I mean, here's my suggestion. I know we usually do the AU tag last, but I would really like to talk about the enemies to lover things last. Yes. So, we're already on the historical AU train right now, on the boat, if you will. So, let's talk about that. Okay. Do you want to start? Sure. I I can start with uh, what you sent me. Cool. I am going to be so interested to hear what you say. (laughs) (laughs) Dear listeners, please know that I know that this is one of the more out there fics I've sent to Alan, and now I'm like, ooh, how is he going to (laughs) respond? You know what's so sad is that your out there fic is probably something that I send you weekly. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm like, here you go. (laughs) Yeet. (laughs) Um, So this is Damask and Dark by Mactaholic, and then in parentheses, Cinderella81, on Archive of Our Own. It is a The Magician's fic, so we're keeping that trend alive and well. Guys, please know that, like, (laughs) I'm hyper-fixating, and that's just how this is gonna go for the foreseeable future. (laughs) (laughs) So, the summary is, Quentin was born and raised in the small magical community of Breakbills, which sprung up around the well-known magical college Breakbills University. The older families in Breakbills could all trace their magical lineage back generations, many to the founding of Breakbills itself. Newer families were moving to Breakbills, wanting to immerse themselves in the magic, but the older families were still the majority. Breakbills was different. Quentin had visited both the other magical communities and the real world on field trips with school and had never seen a community that was like Breakbills. Anytime a man from Breakbills left and ventured outside of the small, insulated community, they found themselves sticking out like a sore thumb. Quentin Coldwater, son of a of Breakbills elite, 
must secure a good match with a respectable woman. Enter the prim, proper rule-following Alice Quinn. But all he wants to do is escape, with Elliot. But family pressures mount, and Quentin finds himself engaged with a wedding fast approaching. Can Quentin escape in time and find freedom away from break bills? Warning, Alice is not a good guy here. They're so, not wrong about that. Alice uh, is not kind of... No, this. she is not portrayed well <laughs> in this. Um, also, the listeners, re-listen to that and take a shot every time the word break bills is mentioned, because <laughs> dear lord... You will be out <laughs> you will. by the time... Sick, like, what, two minutes into two this minutes episode? In, that's a good episode, I'd like, say. passed out cold on the floor. <laughs> Maybe need to get your stomach pumped. Woo! So th- this is the historical AU, and it is not tagged historical AU, but it is tagged Victorian attitudes. Yep. Which uh, I think is all you really need to know. And so this thing, this thing. Whoa, <laughs> Alan. Whoa. Oh, was that some Freudian? No. <laughs> I actually really enjoyed this fight. Oh, okay, cool, great. <laughs> Woo! Uh, I'm running on 11 hours of sleep for the last two days. Leave yeah. me alone. Alan's a little hype, y'all. Y'all, you, you don't even understand. Okay, I'll explain later. But this fic takes all of those, uh, like, Victorian traditions of, like, you know, a gentleman caller and then courting and, like, the public outings and all of that stuff, but gender reverses it so that Quentin is, like, the Victorian woman at the time. And so the women are the ones who wear the suits and do the courting and all of that stuff. And I lived for it. Yay! I was here for it. Good. Because I wanted to be a Victorian woman. <laughs> like, I want to wear a corset. Yes! I want a butt cape. I want, that's true. Margot does give Q a butt cape, but we're skipping ahead. Oh, oh that's true. Oh, oh, wow. Um, so many thoughts came bursting out very quickly. Uh-huh. So, yeah, it starts off with, uh, so Margot is Quentin's, um, what do they call her? Um, it's not valet, right? Yes, it is. It's, oh, okay. it's her, it's his valet, which I always thought valet were the people that parked your cars and brought them to the front. I think historically it was more of a, like, an assistant attendant. or attendant. Yeah. yeah. Or at She's least that's that. how it's used in this. Yeah, and it starts, like, every day, like, Margot wakes up, Quentin, Quentin bathes in milk. Yep. And then, you know, gets made up, dolled up with his long waist length hair. The hair is important, by the way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so in this universe, unmarried men leave their hair, like, they don't cut their hair until their wedding night. Like, it's a thing that their new wife gets to do to them. There are certain, like, not great elements of this construct, and that's one of them. It's like, they really lose control over their bodily autonomy upon Mm -hmm. marriage. Mm -hmm. So, the haircutting is one of those things. Quentin, you goes about his day, and he, like, meets the people he needs to meet, he does his lessons, and then he lives for the moments where he can, like, run off to this field to hang out with Elliot. Very domestic right off the bat, too. Like, it's like, oh, we're just friends, but here, rub my feet. Are you at all surprised that that's the shit I go for? Like, <laughs> no, honestly, no. Be. But it's very sweet. And the whole thing is that it's very much like that society type thing where after they reach the age of, what is it, like 22 or something? Mm-hmm. If you're not married, you're technically, like, considered, um, a like spinster. a spinster. Yeah. <laughs> so something happened with Elliot that I don't know is, is fully explained, but he, like, chose to not marry anyone. He cut his hair and cut his hair yeah yeah he decided like i think it was actually that he really just cut his hair and like decided to flout societal expectations but he also comes from like a well-to-do-ish family and so he's often you know being a bad boy or whatever (laughs) and it was just so funny because he like mostly just cuddles quentin (laughs) very Uh, true but that's like the bad boy aesthetic here yeah apparently um i mean the whole time they were together i was like scandalous (laughs) (laughs) quentin's feet are on elliot's lap yeah. Why I'd never. It's very like <gasps> ankle. Yep. <gasps> but I, I don't know what it is about how it's written, 
but it very much feels like a bad boy thing. Right. Like, I don't, I don't know. So you find out that Elliot is, like, talking about, like, saving up some money to leave for a big city, to leave break bills. And I think Margot is in on it, like, and it's mm-hmm. them too. And Quentin at some point was like, well, would you take me with you? And Elliot is like, yeah, I won't leave you behind. He starts being courted by Alice Quinn, who mm-hmm. is really not nice to him in a lot of ways. And he's like, please don't leave me with her. Like, yeah. please do not let her do this to me. And Elliot's like, I would never. Yeah. Because I love you. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's never so. Not, not yeah. at first, at least. Yeah. So they go through the whole courting process where Alice Quinn is like, you know, calls on Quentin and like they go on public outings to the yearly festival and mm-hmm. God, Alice buys Quentin like this brooch, mm-hmm. a letter A with like white diamonds and it's like really hideous. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, God, I had to wear that shit. Yeah. Like, ugh. And she's really like stiff and this, I think, a little bit comes from the show, which you wouldn't necessarily know, but, right. like, Alice is sort of a character with not a lot of social graces, mm. and this takes it a step further and makes it sort of, like, malicious, where she really is just, like, so regimented and committed to this traditional worldview. Like, she's super conservative, mm-hmm. and it comes out as really controlling, but also, like, weird and formal, and Quentin just hates every second of it. Yeah, she's very robotic. At least that's yeah. how she sounded in my head when I was reading her. Yeah, and that's a little bit coming from the show, but Alice isn't nearly this malicious in the show. I would hope not. <laughs> <laughs> so they go through all of that. Um, eventually, Quentin... Well, Elliot and Margot, and I think at this point Katie and Penny had also jumped in on this plan, and they're all, like, collectively saving money and looking for an apartment and looking for a car to leave. Quentin doesn't have money because, again, it's, like, well-to-do, but doesn't have money of his own. Mm-hmm. He realizes he needs to buy time for everyone, for the preparations to be made, so he lets himself be courted, and then he gets engaged with Alice and sets a date for January because that's when they were like, okay, by January we should have everything ready. And he's just like, well, I'm going to put all my eggs in this basket and hope that hope that it, it works like, out for me. Please don't fuck this up. Yep, yep. And you fast forward, they're planning the wedding. A lot of wedding planning happens. And he fix, he insists on the Temple of Demeter. And Alice is like, that's a lovely sentiment. It was like, you know, the goddess of fertility or of like, I don't remember what she said. Yeah. Uh, and Quentin's like, yeah, it's also really close to the edge of town, so I can just <laughs> scoot. <laughs> He's like, how can I get myself as close to the highway as humanly possible? <laughs> and so the week leading up to his wedding, he hears nothing from the group because they've gone to like the city to like look for jobs and prep the apartment and whatnot. So he's freaking out. He's in his dress, like, he's all corseted up and, like, hairdo, walking down the aisle, like, literally halfway down the aisle, and he sees Alice on the other end before fucking Elliot opens the door and, like, let's go! Yeah, Katie bursts in, and Katie in the show and in this fic is the master battle magician, Mm. and she basically comes like, what's up, bitches? And is like, all right, and throws some curses and gets Quentin the fuck out of there. Yeah. And Quentin has a little bit of his moment of, like, no, mom, this was your dream. (laughs) (laughs) And then, like, run. As fast as his little heeled shoes can take him. (laughs) That is absolutely, I forgot about that little moment he had. Alice is like, what? (laughs) Yup. And you would think then that that's a, you know, that's the happy ending. It's, you know, that's good. But then 
The fic, I think, morphs into an entirely different fic, because they go yeah. to New York, mm-hmm. and it's, like, it's just so different, like, like obviously, abandons, like, the corsets and all of the, like, mm-hmm. fancy dresses, because they're poor, they're poor now. Yep. It just, it was a little jarring, because I was like, okay, so, we went from very Victorian age, that it was so, like, yeah. whoa. Well, I think when you read the summary, it was talking about, you know, men from break bills find themselves very much the sore thumb in yeah. modern society, and I think that's where part that comes from is like it's this very insular community with its Mm -hmm. own set of rules and traditions and you're not expected to leave so when they go out into the city and it's like a normal place to be like us i don't think it's actually an au in the sense of it being actually historical which is why i kind of skirted the assignment i think it's historical attitudes in this one particular community that really shape how he was raised. A cult. Basically. Yeah, wow. And then he breaks free of it. And then he has to learn how to exist in what we would consider a more modern version of society. Like, closer to what, yeah, you know, normal what would we, be. Yeah. yeah, so then the second half of the fic is just, like, Quentin and Elliot exploring the relationship. Because now they love each other and they mm-hmm. share a bedroom and they, like, make out and stuff. No sex, though, yeah, because, you know, well, Quentin, Yeah, Quentin is a virgin. Like, that's yep. a thing. Because he was saving his virginity for marriage. Well. Because conservative is <laughs> He gets a job uh, at a what, like an antique store or some mm-hmm. sort, like a watchmaker type thing. He's you know, getting into the swing of things, and at some point, I think it's like two or three months after they've been there, Alice comes into the store and it's like, come back, you're mine. I'm not leaving here without you. And Quentin's like, go fuck yourself. I'm not going with you. You never really wanted me. You just wanted a trophy. So go find any other trophy. I, I think Alice was just like, how dare you talk back to me? And then leaves. Yeah. Well, I think she's so taken aback by the fact that Quentin fights for yeah. himself for the first time and truly fights for himself and doesn't just like rely on somebody throwing curses behind him and then running that she she didn't, didn't expect it. So she doesn't yeah. really know what to do with it and therefore just like leaves. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I guess that's pretty much the rest of it. Like the rest of the fic is mostly Quentin and Elliot like deepening the relationship and saying I love you and like working up to sex to the point where Quentin tells Elliot like hey I want you to cut my hair and Elliot is like oh okay and it's like this beautiful moment and Mm -hmm. like it's so cute and then it ends when they have sex it was it was out there I will give you that I think I enjoyed it I think what I had problem wrapping my head around was just the really like jolting shift of tone and pace I just felt like it, they could have cut the story way sooner mm-hmm. and had it just been about like life in this community and then like escape and then let hopeful type thing and yay. Or maybe it had been like multi-chaptered. Mm-hmm. I would have been a little more satisfied, but I just felt, I don't know, it, it feels like not balanced. In some way. That's fair. I think the reason I enjoy this so much is because I do often really enjoy fix where the characters undergo something difficult, traumatic, whatever it is, and they're given a chance to heal. Mm-hmm. And this, to me, is a lot of Quentin coming into his own. Sure. In a way that is really unique and different. I come to this back to this a lot for this one particularly. Yeah, which is weird for Interesting. Me. It's weird. I truly one hundred percent admit that it's a little bit of an out there fic to come back to a couple times, but yeah. something about it really grabbed me. And I think it's that. I think that's growth for Quan like you skipped over a lot of the details of that growth. But he really goes from won't speak back to his parents, won't fight for himself, won't do anything, to making a break for it, having all these friends, relying on his friends, going out on his own in a big city he doesn't know, and then basically building a relationship with somebody he's cared about 
deeply for years from scratch. That is of equal weight for both of them and like a right. true partnership and figuring that out. So something about that journey really spoke to me. Sure. And I think that's what I come back to with this one. But I hear what you're saying. I actually wonder if the reverse of what you just suggested would fix it in the sense of like condensing some of the break bill stuff because the courting rituals yeah, are so... Would, yeah. 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 I do think that there's something, it just something needs to be, it needs to be like sharpened, focused mm-hmm. yeah. a little more. It's really long. It is. Yeah. Which was interesting. I, I'm not mad at it. I will probably yeah. come back to it because again, I would love to have a butt cape <laughs> and anything <laughs> that allows me to live through that. Margot is like a fantastic character in this because she dresses Quentin all the time and has to dress him certain ways for his parents' approval, but like goes out of her way to make him look really fucking good, including yep. like draping beautiful fabric across him and being like, now you have a butt cape. Yeah. <laughs> and wonderful. Quentin's like, I don't know how I feel about the butt cape. And she's like, shut up, you look great. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. And eventually part of the thing with Alice is that Alice is trying to isolate him from everybody who cares about him. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So as the wedding gets nearer and nearer, Margot disappears. And it's unclear if like Quentin's parents fired her or what yeah, really happened. So one of the things was that they have a contract when they got engaged, stipulating mm-hmm. all the terms of the like engagement leading up to the wedding. And part of that agreement was that he couldn't hang out with Elliot anymore and they had to fire Margot. Yeah. And they would input someone from Alice's staff to be Quentin's yeah. valet. So she's like slowly sort of encapsulating his whole life and he goes behind her back but there's moments where he like sort of slips up and like waves hi to Katie while they're (gasps) on a date and Alice like slaps him at some point she's really abusive in this fic in a way that is really kind of scary Mm -hmm. so I think one of the more rewarding parts of this story is that confrontation at the end where Quentin looks at her and is like absolutely not like I have built this life for myself I'm terrified of you but I am not gonna let you take it from me I feel like a lot of the context for that like I, I hear everything you're saying mm-hmm. and I can see it now kind of in retrospect but I don't know that I would like if I had been a fan of the show if I would have immediately caught on to that mm-hmm. like I feel you are in a place right now <laughs> at, see last episode <laughs> here my rant from before I won't go into that rant again <laughs> but please feel welcome to listen to it I think you and a lot of the people in this community particularly uh-huh. are still looking for healing and like yeah. looking for that type of fic and I can yeah. see where you would find it in something like this yeah I think I think that's part of why I'm so hyper fixated on Quelliot in particular right now is because yeah. it's very much the fic in which a lot of healing is happening. Mm-hmm. The fandom understands these characters in ways that I think is really deep and it's very true to like a lot of people's experiences with difficult things like abuse or mental health issues and stuff like that. Yeah. So fic is going there mm-hmm. and it's really great <laughs> to read these characters survive and win yeah. when that's not what happened in Let the show. Aaron, though, how many fan fictions do you ever read where they don't win? Is this what you're reading? I mean, I feel like no, but I think I never like if I have a, even an inkling that a story is going to end bad, I quit. I, I like oh. I can't do it. I will not. Well, I think there's something to be said about I would normally read things that are darker than this or go mm. more angsty. Yeah, and I'm not delving as deeply into the like true ouch angst right because it hurts too much i get that so this is like yeah it's angsty but it's like but it's kind baseline. of surface level yeah almost. the threat is not as deep that makes sense and it doesn't hurt as much to read it because he gets out of it cool. relatively quickly yeah it's nice to hear your perspective and yeah. kind of understand where everyone is at. because i'm friends with you and doing this podcast i've been more attuned to like people's reactions to the magicians and it, like my heart bleeds for y'all and i just Thanks. want y'all to be happy so i think overall i would give this Give it like a 
Solid 3.0. Okay, that's actually higher than I thought you were going to go. I definitely thought you were going to hit a 2. I thought so, but see, to me, my, my scale is very, like, I'm a nice person. <laughs> You're like, I'm not the bitch who has Your average is, like, I think 2.5 to a 3, and mine is, like, a 3 to a 4. <laughs> So, like, you're an Uber scale, <laughs> and I'm an Amazon scale. Yep, I think we've said this before. Yep. So, yeah, I would give it a three. I was going to say maybe, like, a 2.8, but I was like, no, that's mean. Yeah. I, I enjoyed it. I yeah. think it has a lot of really interesting things happening, mm-hmm. and I think I will likely come back. Well, no, I don't know. Probably not. I might not come back to this anytime mm-hmm. soon, but it's something that when I think of fan fiction, it's something I, I haven't seen done before. Yeah. And I think that's really cool. That was kind of why I got over it to send it to you. Because yeah. there was a piece of me that was like, uh... And that's always hard, yeah. I'm glad you did. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad, yeah, share these with me, Aaron. I'm glad you didn't Come down it. to my level. <laughs> <laughs> that's not what this is. <laughs> also, um, really quick, can we talk about the, the title Damask and Dark? It has, it has to be a reference to Sweeney Todd. It's from oh. Greenfinch and Little Bird. I hadn't thought of that. I'm a terrible theater person. <laughs> I the only reason I know this because I was oh, singing this like no. earlier this week. I know Sweeney Todd so well. How did I miss that? <laughs> Unless there's some other Damascan Dark saying no. out there that is really obvious. This that's the first thing I thought. I was like, oh, maybe the hair cutting thing. But well, less, it, but, but it's like, like murder. Uh, it's Joanna's song, right. like about being a bird stuck in a cage. Oh, <laughs> oh, guys, I missed all of it. <laughs> I didn't pick up on this at all. Well, next time when you read through it, now you'll know. <laughs> now I'll just be singing Green Vincent, the yes. Nightingale, Blackbird, Incredible. So we this podcast is now going to be, oh, I know the words. I was just like, I know, I know you didn't. I don't. <laughs> this podcast is now going to be just us singing the score to Sweeney Todd. Yeah, really. No, this is great. I'm glad you didn't hate it because I was no, a little no. worried you were going to be like, what the fuck, kid? So what did I send you, Aaron? You sent me a fandom, which I didn't realize that's what it was called, but that's actually really adorable. (laughs) Uh, Dan and Phil, Mm -hmm. uh, RPF fic. I think it's interesting that we're talking about this post, the coming out YouTube video. I purposefully looked for one in this fandom to talk about this. Okay, great. Let me rehash it first, and then you can go on a rant. Welcome to my rant. This is my week, everyone. Anyway, so the fic you sent me is Dan and Phil. It's a historical AU set in the 50s, and it's called While Our Blood's Still Young by Celestial Fix, which is an orphan account. So I looked this up. Apparently, when you no longer, like, want to have your account or something, but you don't want your stories to go away, you can credit it to this orphan account, and you can either have the original author's credit there while also saying that it's been orphaned, or instead of saying Celestial Fix, it can just be under an orphan account if you don't ever want it to, like, get back that there's a connection to you, Mm. which is really interesting to me. This is something that's interesting to think about in terms of, like, when people are really nervous about fan fiction and a little bit ashamed of it, maybe a little bit nervous about it, getting out that they write it, connecting it back to you. Having this as an option in AO3 is really interesting. We can talk about it more. The summary of this fic is, In the midst of 1950s America, Phil works at a malt shop that Dan frequents after school. Inevitably, as their relationship progresses, the two boys face unrelenting adversity in a world that does not yet see all love as equal. It's a pretty short one-shot. Like, it's not a drabble by any stretch. No. But it's not a particularly long narrative. It starts with Dan visiting the malt shop where Phil works. And he's sitting at the counter next to this very pretty girl and is like, I know I'm supposed to say something to her, but like, what? (laughs) How? I do not understand the women. And I'm like, 
It's because you're gay, baby. <laughs> but it's fine. He doesn't know that yet. He has a little bit of moment of like, I know what I'm supposed to be. Yeah. But I can't really do it. And eventually, so the girl like kind of goes to talk to him and he starts to think about talking to her and they're interrupted by Phil who comes over and is like, hey, Annie, having a good date? And Dan's like, God damn it. <laughs> like, and Annie's like, yeah, it's cool. Like, I was just about to introduce myself. Hi. And they kind of have this stilted conversation. And Phil sort of navigates it and then gets pulled away. And they talk. And Dan is clearly not interested in her. She's just like, yeah, that's Phil. He's my cousin. He likes to, like, he works here and it's a thing. And Dan's like, cool. He goes <laughs> back to his malt. <laughs> and she's like, great. And then just kind of, like, beats it with her friends. Yep. So then Phil comes over and is like, starts drinking Dan's malt. <laughs> and is like, that went poorly. <laughs> How you doing, bud? And Dan's like, it's fine. I don't understand. And he very clearly is like, oh, no. He like has the first little inklings of like, oh, I've felt this before. And I've shoved it in the corner in a box because I can't do this. This is dangerous. I don't like it. And Phil's a lot more brazen and like being kind of flirtatious and whatever, mm-hmm. you know, being very sort of like openly flirty. And Dan runs. And as he's exiting the malt shop, he sees this group of people beating the shit out of some kid, calling them all sorts of homophobic names. And Dan yeah. is reminded very abruptly in that moment that he cannot act on these feelings. So skip ahead. Dan decides he was like, but I do want to see Phil again because he cute. So he waits a couple of days and then goes back, gets a malt, which he does not drink. Correct. <laughs> and is very excited that Phil like remembers him and interacts with him and is like flirting with him again. So they kind of go on a bit of a date and it's not officially that, but it's kind of coded as that. And Dan is certainly happy about it. And yeah. Phil is pleased as punch. So Phil drinks his malt again. Yeah. <laughs> it's very cute. Apparently, Marcy, who owns the ice cream parlor, is, like, super chill. Yeah, For the 50s. Phil is like, yeah, I think she has a brother who's gay or whatever. And Dan is like, don't say the word out loud. And he's like, no, it's fine. Like, I really think it's cool. And he's like, no, no, no. Like, I'm still going to come visit you sort of at off time. So they start hanging out with each other after Marcy has closed down the store and been like, all right, Phil, just, like, lock up on your way out. (laughs) Have fun doing what you're doing. (laughs) It's cool. And then Dan's like, oh, good. And then Dan and Phil, like, sit and share a malt. And by share, I mean Phil drinks the malt that Dan has purchased. <laughs> Correct. Over and over and over again. It's their thing. And they get to know each other. And they're, like, really clearly into each other and having, like, cute little dates. And Phil officially asks him on a date. <laughs> yeah, he does. And Dan just, like, chokes. And he goes, like, seriously? <laughs> <laughs> and Phil's like, yeah. I think it'd be cool. Like, let's do this. So they decide to go on a date together. And the next weekend, Phil, like, drives up. Dan has told his parents that he's going out with Phil. And then they're meeting up with some girls at the drive-in. Mm-hmm. That is a lie. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. Incorrect. It's just Phil. <laughs> but uh, Dan lives with his mom and his aunt. Because his dad died in World War II. And while his mom really could give less of a shit. She's, like, sort of traumatized by losing her husband. It doesn't really talk to Dan very much. And lets him do whatever he wants. His aunt is really interested. And kind of wants to meet Phil. And, like, has some questions. But Dan just kind of, like, scoots them right out the door. And is like, go, 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 go. Okay, go. Like, get in the car. We're running. And then they do. So they go see a Disney movie. Something about dogs. <laughs> I don't know. Is what it says. So we know what movie it is. Um, 101 Dalmatians. No. No. 
was Lady and the Tramp. It could have been 111 Dalmatians. It could have been 111 Dalmatians. I actually don't know when that was released. So yeah, I don't like either. the 60s. So they go to the drive-in and they... It's like, it's so quintessential 50s movies. And yep. it's so fucking cute. Because Phil like takes out some cigarettes to like smoke one. And he's like, do you want whatever? And Dan's like, yeah, sure. And he goes to smoke and he's never smoked a cigarette before. <laughs> so he like absolutely chokes. He's like, God, I hated it. And Phil's like, have you never done that before? And he's like, nope, it was bad. I don't understand. <laughs> and we've all been there, listeners. Everyone is taking the first drag of a cigarette and be like, I don't get it. Except me. God damn it, Aaron. Sorry, I'm not fun. <laughs> it's okay. It's not good. I co-host a fan fiction podcast. Do I look cool enough? <laughs> to have I co-host story? a fan fiction podcast and I've done it. You have blue hair. <laughs> You're cooler than me. So over that cigarette, actually, they do have a somewhat important conversation where Dan is like, oh, that was gross. I really don't understand why everybody does this. And Phil was like, I guess we all do it to conform. And Dan's like, I don't really see you as the type to conform. And Phil sort of hints and he's like, there's only so much sticking out you want to do. And that's sort of the first moment where you see that there's a little crack in the veneer of Phil being really confident in who he is, which comes up later. But it's sort of the first time that Phil really has a moment of like, no, like I'm aware that what we're doing is not kosher here, Mm -hmm. but I'm choosing it anyway, which is actually kind of great. So they make out in the back of a car. (laughs) Because that's what you go, what what is it? You think anyone comes here to actually watch the movie? (laughs) Phil asks. So they make out at the drive-in, which is like so romantic. Oh, oh my god. The dream. I want nothing to do with the 50s in terms of like actual oh, societal mores no, or anything like that, but like the romance yeah. of the time is very Everything like, was so grand and there was this feeling of like euphoria because we were just coming out of World War II. Mm-hmm. The economy had been fixed from the Great Depression. Yeah. And there's like, it's a double-edged sword because a lot of the constrictions and constraints yeah. of society made subverting them very exciting right. and like, ooh, I'm going to go be like a bad kid and like exactly. I'm gonna go do you know take the rules and flaunt them and like that's very exciting in a way that I don't think we have today mm-hmm. because we don't have the same level of sort of like societal like very strict etiquette rules that are uniform as back in the day so going and making out in a drive-in movie now just feels quaint it's just different like it's not a different thing and I would never go back to that time but I think no, there's no. something appealing about that time I, for I romance. get that yeah, yeah. Yeah, my queer ass would not do well. No, my brown queer ass would not either. (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot of reasons not to go back to the 50s, friends. Many. So, yeah. So they make out in the car and it's great. Dan goes home and it's great and he's, like, really exciting. And then they keep, you know, hanging out after all of Phil's shifts at the ice cream parlor. And Marcy is very happily looking the other way and doing their thing. And then something happens that sort of shakes their little world. And Dan has been acting more, quote, outrightly gay, end quote, in public. And the people who've been beating up that kid in the first half of the fic come for Dan and do literally beat the shit out of him like no. crack some ribs and bash his face in and really go for him Marcy chases them off with a revolver we love Marcy we stand Marcy an icon Marcy is the original LGBTQ ally <laughs> yeah. uh, sure. and I just love her dearly and I just see her turning the corner with this like pistol in her hand like ready to like buck shit up yes. and throw down and I love it so she takes Dan back to the parlor and then Phil is there and Phil's like, I'm taking you home. And Dan's like, I cannot go back to my house like this. I can't, like, you cannot take me back. And he goes, no, to my house. Like, I'm taking you back to clean up. And he's like, okay. So they clean up. Dan is wallowing in self-pity. And Phil is That's like, to do. yep, super angry. And Dan sort of alludes to, he's like, we're going to go around the back. I don't want my dad to see you. And that is, again, sort of, like, foreshadowing of things to come. So Phil cleans Dan up, and they have a conversation. And Dan's like, I do not want you to retaliate. Like, I don't want you to do anything about this. And Phil's like... 
what are you talking about? And Dan's like, it's my fault. Mm -hmm. And Phil's like, what the fuck are you talking about? He's like, well, I was acting queer. And Phil's like, absolutely not. Like, this is not your fault that you got beat up for this. And Dan is like, but I knew what I was doing. And Mm -hmm. I knew that this was dangerous. And Phil doesn't really have a response to that because he's not wrong in some ways, even though it is deeply shitty. So they just kind of have this moment of, like, reality really bursting their bubble a little bit. And it's real sad. So they go back to sort of life. But he did have to go home eventually. And his mom and aunt see the bruises. He tells them he got robbed. So they're like, you cannot go out at night. So... All of the after hours hanging out with Phil at the malt shop, stop. He's not allowed to really see him outside. They don't know that Phil is connected at all, but they just like have him on such a tight leash that he never gets yeah. to spend any time with Phil. Come home straight from school. So they don't really get to go on dates anymore, but Phil, ever the, you know, <laughs> yep. doting boyfriend here, uh, shows up late at night and is like throwing rocks at the window, knocking on the window. He's like, climb out the window, come into my car, we're going to go. Mm-hmm. They go and like they have a nice sort of looking at the stars kind of date, which again, so fucking romantic. Uh, Hail Appleman, please take me on that date. (laughs) (laughs) Hail Appleman, if you're listening, we're available. (laughs) Yeah, please pick me. Uh, (laughs) I have a lot of feelings. And they go and they, you know, sit out on the stars and look and have a romantic sort of date. And they're like, I'm happy with you. And it's really sweet. And it's very cathartic almost after what has happened. And so they're going on these dates and it's a thing. And then eventually, there's one Saturday where they pushed it too far, and Phil's dad shows up and catches them while they're kissing. And Phil is like, Dan, you need to go right now. And he doesn't want to, but he does. He runs, Mm because he knows that something bad is coming. So Dan runs and goes home and has another moment of, like, we had this coming. Like, we did this to ourselves. Like, really has to reckon with this internalized homophobia, fault feeling, guilt feeling. Of course, yeah. And really struggles with it. And that's when he starts figuring out that he wants to get out. And starts formulating a plan to run to New York. Where he's heard that the homosexuals are congregating in New York City. (laughs) Which is not incorrect. Not incorrect, yeah. Yeah, so he decides that he's like, I'm not staying here. So he, you know, he sees Phil at school the next week. And it turns out Phil actually hasn't been beaten all to hell. Like, Dan has very terrifiedly figured he would be. But he's currently being starved. The father took his car and he can't leave his house and it's bad. Like, shit's bad. So, Dan is like, run away with me. Go to New York City with me. We'll have it better in New York. And Phil is the one to be like, we are too young. We're in high school. We're not gonna have enough money. We can't do this. I'm not gonna do this. And Dan really stands his ground and is like, I'm going anyway. Come with me or not. And so Dan basically sets the plan in motion. He talks out his plan to fill a whole bunch, just sort of in the hypothetical, but he actually means it. And then he enacts the plan and he goes and he leaves a note for Phil before he really goes. He says, I love you and I'm leaving, but don't follow me unless you're staying with me. So he sticks it on Phil's window, goes to the train station, is crying. And <laughs> Same. It's so sad. <laughs> and then Phil turns up at the last hour and says, oh, thank God I was scared you'd already be gone. And Phil's like, I was listening to your plan when you were telling me this. Well, because the thing is, Dan decided arbitrarily, like, okay, I'm leaving in three days. Yeah. And Phil can either choose to come with me or not. He doesn't tell Phil I'm leaving right. in three days. I forgot that that He was then started. leaves the note and he is gone. He's gone for, I think, like eight or 12 hours. Yeah. He's in a motel somewhere. He jumped on a train, is in a motel on his way to New York, and he hears a knock on his door, and it's Phil on the other side. And he's like, How did you find me? And Phil's like, I've been listening, you idiot. Yeah. It's like, You told me the plan. <laughs> Just because, like, it was in the hypothetical doesn't mean I wasn't paying attention. So Phil finds him, and he's like, You're not going alone. And Dan is like, You are not taking me back. And he's like, Nope, that's what I mean. Like, we're going together. So they sort of step off into this new life together, and that's the end of the Vic. 
Alan's crying. I'm in a glass case of emotion. Yeah. Alan has a lot of feelings. And, like, I also had a lot of feelings. I thought this was super well written. I thought it was really compelling. I thought it was really well done. Mm -hmm. It didn't stand out to me as something, like, groundbreaking in the genre. But it was really good. And I liked it a lot. So I love that review. Good job. Yeah. Just on, like, merits alone, I would rate this at least, like, a four. (laughs) You're just doing it to spite me in my scale comment earlier. Okay. Like, (laughs) 4.2. No, it's great it is it's really good i'm glad you liked it so the coming out video and at this point we're like two or three weeks out from when it was released i believe maybe it's been longer than that i think i'm gonna look this up because i want to know oh my so at this point we're a month and a half i knew it was longer than that oh my god it came out on june 13th and we're look behind the curtain it's august 4th when we're recording this holy shit holy shit so, picture it. I get home from work one day, take my shoes off, I lay on the bed, because every time I get home from, like, anything, I, like, lay down on the bed for, like, five minutes and then just decompress from, the, you know, the outside world. And then I get on my phone, I get on YouTube, and the first fucking video <laughs> waiting for me is Dan's basically I'm gay video, marked at 42 minutes, and yeah. I was like, oh my god. You're like, shit's about to get real. I transcended Aaron. <laughs> I, it was an out-of-body experience. Yeah. Because, okay, here's the thing. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I've i been watching them for years. There's There's been gaps I haven't followed, like, fully, like, all of their videos, but enough to have been a fan. And there's, when they first started, they have the series. I don't know how familiar you are with I'm it not. or how familiar the listeners are. Not at all. Um, they have the series of videos in which they answer random questions. Uh-huh. And it's called, so Dan's username used to be Dan is not on fire and then Phil's is still amazing Phil so they mixed it and the series was called mm-hmm. uh Phil is not on fire amazing I'm gonna get <laughs> you're gonna get roasted I'm gonna get roasted for that but point is they have this series where they answer questions and the very first one is like way early on in their like YouTube careers and like it's so it's cute and it's flirty like essentially flirting at one point Dan like puts his head on Phil's chest and it's just like it's just a thing right and the video ends it fucking ends with Phil jumping on top of Dan, like, oh. in a very, like, this like, couple way. way. And it ends there. So you can see how people would assume, like, are they together? Right. And so for, like, the first, I want to say three to four years that they got big on YouTube and they were doing all these things, they lived together. Everyone was, like, you know, shipping them and it was this very fun thing or whatnot. And then there was a video that Phil posted accidentally, or I don't know how people got a hold of it, but it was a video, like, birthday message to Dan. And it was Phil, like, talking about, like, and I remember the first time we, like, we you held my hand, and then we kissed under the stars, <gasps> I love you, and all these things. And it's Phil. It's not, like, a voiceover. Right. It's, like, Phil talking to the camera. And I, this is pre-deepfake. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, like, I have this video in my possession. <gasps> so, I, like, I've seen it with my own two eyeballs. Wow. And that, like, caused such a shift in their relationship. Like, Dan shut down. Oh, and, like, no. pulled away and, like, was angry at Phil and, like, he wouldn't appear and collapse anymore with him. And, like, they were still living together and, you know, for all intents and oh. purposes, we're still, like, best friends or whatnot. Because he was kind of outed. <gasps> I didn't know any of this. Yeah, so there was this guy, I think it's, like, a two-year period where, like, everyone in the fandom knows, like, there was a dark period in their relationship or, like, their mm-hmm. friendship where they the outlook did not look good. And Dan was just really depressed all the time. Like, his videos were very dark or he didn't post as regularly. It was really, really rough. And then recently, in recent years, I think the last also like three or four years, it's been more 
chill mm -hmm. and like you know they're, they're friends and they're more you know affectionate towards each other again mm -hmm. and it's like oh yay so they're back to the point that there's fix that take place during the dark period or like mm -hmm. before the dark period after Dan's dark period and it's so fascinating and so when this yeah. video came out I was like I was so proud of Dan and yeah. I was like this is incredible because here's someone who has been very outspoken about like his like social anxiety and his depression yeah. and his suicidal ideation and all of these things and it was just this long video of him saying yeah that you guys know but I need to tell you like my story where I'm right. coming from he's claiming his truth I cried so hard. Of course hard. you did. I was like... You cry over most things. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course you would cry over something that's legitimately cry-worthy. It was such a good moment. And like the first thought, I was like, I need to pick a fig to talk to her. <laughs> I need her to know yeah. how I feel. So I pick Magician's Fix to rant about that. And then you pick Fandom Fix I, to like... I was like, I need to find a fic to fit this in because mm -hmm. I need to talk about it. So, so they confirmed that they were together? That's the thing. They haven't. The only mention there is is in Dan's video somewhere in the middle and then he's like and you know it's understandable that I there's still parts of the story that I want to keep to myself you mm -hmm. know because it's my experience and what Phil and I had is very special and we want it to be just ours mm -hmm. and I'm like fuck that sounds like they're not together what does this mean but it, the whole point of it is he doesn't want to tell people and if they right. don't want to tell people then that's fine and then it's about respecting that choice. exactly yeah. so I don't know is the question okay two weeks later <gasps> Phil came out with his own video oh my god which was like seven minutes in comparison yeah. to the 42 but I think I think it's just because Phil, again, like we saw Told in this a fic, lot of the story. he's like, he's known who he is for a long time. And mm -hmm. I think, because Phil mentioned like, you know, my friends know and people who are important to me know already. Mm -hmm. Whereas Dan's family didn't know. Oh, wow. He, was, he mentions in the video, like, this is how I'm coming out to my family. So, <gasps> <gasps> oh no, it was an email. <laughs> he emailed oh, his family God. right before he did this video. But he was like, I'm emailing you because I'm about to release a video. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That so. is a bold mic drop. Mm -hmm. It's like. Good the, for him. It's so amazing. And like, I don't comment on YouTube videos very often, mm -hmm. but I commented on that one and I was like, you know, we're all so proud of you. Congratulations. Welcome. Yeah. And like his response after, like I followed him on Instagram Yeah. <laughs> right after that. And he's like talking about how welcome he's felt by the community yeah. and he's like, Good. thank you, you know, for not because I think his fear was that we would be like, well, where were you? You know, right. like seven years ago, we needed you then. Well, like now you just want to yeah. come in and take our pride parade or whatnot. There's a lot of fear in coming out that like... That you won't be accepted by the community. You won't get accepted by the community. And also because I think the queer experience is inherently isolating in some ways. Right. The liberation comes from realizing that you're not alone. Mm -hmm. But you feel like you are the only person. It's almost like imposter syndrome. Yeah. Where you're like, well, I'm not queer enough to do this. Exactly. And that is a terrifying thing. Yeah. Yeah. So for somebody to come over that and like come out the other side and feel stronger for it, like that's an incredible amount of strength and joy. And I really hope that he feels like it was worth all of that struggle. He went to his first pride this year. <laughs> <laughs> he went to his <laughs> <laughs> Forever, but like holy shit first prides are so important <laughs> he was so happy oh he, my like, god he was wearing like black and rainbow because black is his aesthetic yeah and like he in the video he like said we're here we're queer we're filled with existential uh, fear <laughs> And, like, he's got that on he's the shirt. got it. He understands it so well. His brand is he's so queer. good. Oh. <laughs> I was like, you're one of us, baby. Come Welcome. here. <laughs> Welcome. I don't know about you. My first Pride was the first time that I didn't feel like such a freak. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I think particularly being asexual is really isolating because it's not yeah. a hyper-visible identity. Right. And actually, there's been some issues with, like, Tumblr communities being mm. purged of asexuals and all that kind of stuff. Awful. So seeing mm. ace flags and being welcome in a Pride space yeah. was one of the first times where I was like, oh, I'm 
part of this. I'm mm-hmm. not pretending to be queer for woke points, which is my like little like heart fear. Yeah. Um, of so first prides mean so much. Yeah. So my first pride, I was 21. I had moved from home and it was my first time where I was like an adult. I had a job and I could like go out with friends and stuff. And it was at Austin. It was an mm-hmm. Austin pride. Austin does their fucking pride in August. Yeah. And I'm like, Apparently, I know this Why? from Hale Appleman. Apparently, so does Vancouver. Why? <laughs> yeah, the whole Pride place is in June. I don't but know. any whomst. Yeah, um, <laughs> I hate you so much. <laughs> so my first Pride was at Austin Pride. I was 21. I went with like uh, some of my bestest friends and some of their bestest friends, mm-hmm. and we got like the VIP package or why not? Because my friends were really bougie, mm-hmm. and they're like, "Oh, we, there's like this air conditioned room and it's like an open bar." And oh, that is great. bougie. And I was like, "Cool." It was a tiny like warehouse storage looking ass room, oh. uh, and it was like the drinks were fine. They were very weak. And I was like, "This is all right." Yeah, you live uh, and learn. I just didn't get the experience that I thought oh. I would be, and I'm very like socially anxious, and like I was going through a really dark period mm-hmm. at that point in my life. So I like I felt judged, and I didn't like myself, and I was like comparing myself to every beautiful person I walked by, and I was like, it's not a good place mm-hmm. to be right now. So I didn't like my first pride. Mm-hmm. My second pride was actually this year with oh, you and Angel. I yeah. It was really nice to just be with friends and not yeah. have it be like, well, it's a party and like these are the expectations that yeah. I like. We just were there to feel that sense of community and mm-hmm. like to be part of it and to, you know, it was wonderful. And that's what I'd always wanted from a pride. And yeah. I was very happy to have gotten that this yeah. year. It's a good pride. It was a good pride. Very happy for you, Dan. If you listen to this, you want to come on the show? Yeah, really. You can come right after Halo Apple. Yeah, we're going to have a couple of celebrity guests. They're all going to be openly queer. Yes. We only speak <gasps> only, to queer people. Only the queers we are allowed. We only speak to queer folk, which is hilarious. Incredible. Yeah. All right, should we move on to our next tag? Yeah. Which is enemies to lovers, and I think it's pretty self-explanatory. Oh, but I love enemies to lovers. It's quick. Well, it's also worth mentioning that we said enemies to lovers and not enemies to, to friends, friends to, to lovers. lovers. I think I sent you enemies to friends to lovers oh, anyway. 100%. Yeah. So there is technically a difference. And I didn't realize that until I read yours. Yeah. And I didn't think about it when I sent it to you. But yeah, there's a difference. So the enemies to lovers is usually, oh, I hate this person. And then, oh, we're fucking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've a, all been there, listeners. Yeah, as opposed to enemies, like, oh, I can't stand this person. And then like, yeah. oh, actually, I was wrong about this person. And then, oh, I really like this person. Yeah. Which is more what I sent Alan. Yep. Yeah. I need you to talk about yours first. Okay. The one I sent to you. For- oh, okay. So, Alan. It's happened, people. It has happened. The time has come. Alan sent me Naruto. Yeah. Fanfic. Welcome. Friendos. <laughs> um, on today's episode of Aaron Butcher's Some Names. Yes. I don't actually want to fuck up real Japanese words that bad, but I am going to say names of characters so y'all can laugh at me (laughs) in my dumb little white girl brain that can't really pronounce things. The fic is called Predators by Kizu Katana on Archive of Our Own. The summary... Naruto is a genetically modified soldier used by the government to win a war, then thrown in prison because he was too dangerous and too valuable to be allowed out. The military police run the state after the war, and they are led by a pair of ruthless elite officers who are the last to carry a powerful, unmodified bloodline. Dark fic. See tags. Sex will be violent enough to possibly trigger, so don't read this if you don't like it dark and rough. 18 plus only, please. I'm gonna say, maybe this is more telling of me than I want it to be. (laughs) I thought this was going to be way worse than it was in terms of being dark or violent. It is, but I have 100% read more violent stuff and, like, kinkier stuff. Same. And I was like, yeah, there's, like... (laughs) So there's a little bit of 
stuff like blood play and red yeah. fluid play and stuff. It's certainly stalking is a big oh, uh-huh. part of this. It is violent in that both Naruto and Sasuke? Yeah! Sasuke? Okay. Sasuke. I, Caitlin told me how to say Damn it! Damn it. <laughs> I was like, Sasuke. She's... I would have probably said Sasuki yeah, if I hadn't known. That's fair, yeah. That was the one I was worried about because I was like, she's going to have to go the whole thick reading that name. <laughs> yeah, so Sasuke, they're both like murderers like they mm-hmm. actively kill people in this yep. so it is violent in that sense if you are somebody who reads a lot of fanfic you've probably read worse <laughs> I, yeah I'd be willing to bet my hat it's actually not as dark as the text no. led me to believe that said this is really super well done I don't think I'm gonna like play by play a lot of this but the rough outline of the story is that Naruto is in prison at, for being genetically modified he has all of these enhanced senses which is reiterated multiple times <laughs> in this <day. laughs> point i was like if i read the word enhanced vision one more time i'm gonna, gonna lose it um, how will you know that his vision's enhanced every it? single time he sees a thing it's like he saw it with his enhanced vision i'm like i know that you've told me it would be like if people were like aaron looked at alan with her eyeball yeah with her regular people eyeballs through her glasses because she has bad eyesight so naruto's in a prison and he's classified as the super dangerous gmod is what they call them and the guards will only go into his cell once a day like a crew of six of them to feed him and it, he's like, yeah, I could break out anytime I want, but like, I'm not going to because what's out there for me? And then Sasuke shows up and he is the first person who actually intrigues Naruto in any way. He also smells everything. Yeah. This Naruto. He's <laughs> this like, Naruto. this Naruto. He is like, I can smell the confidence on him and like literally smell emotions. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I'll accept this premise, but sure. And the guards of the prison have been trying to get him to, in their words, mate with a woman. They've been throwing various hookers and uh, (laughs) women at him, and he has never had any interest and always been like, well, they smell like they're afraid of me. But Sasuke shows up and he's like, "Mm, you smell attractive. And this is the first time that he ever really feels like a spike of like, oh, I'm I'm intrigued by you. So a couple weeks later, he breaks out of this prison (laughs) because it's so easy for him to do that he just basically was like, I'm out. And like, kills all the guards and like goes into hiding and immediately starts stalking Sasuke. And Sasuke is a police officer, essentially like an Mm -hmm. elite police officer in like the highest special forces unit in the land. So he's on missions and doing stuff and then at night he's like screwing these hookers all the time. Mm -hmm. And Sasuke is like in this apartment and Naruto's like watching him screw these women. I don't love the way that this fic handles women because they're treated really poorly. However, I think narratively it fits within the scope of what these characters would consider women to be, which is essentially just vessels for their own pleasure. And so I understand where it was coming from, even though I was like, oh, this is gross. Yeah, I guess so. So I don't count it as a knock against it because it wasn't like, oh, this is glorifying this thing. It's like, oh, no, this is who these characters are. And so from that perspective, yeah, it's kind of dark and it's not great. And so if that triggers you, definitely don't read this. So eventually Naruto starts screwing the hookers after they've (laughs) left Sasuke's house because he wants to screw Sasuke. You're great, honey. Don't lie to me. (laughs) Um, So that's where some of the, like, racier sex stuff comes into play, Mm -hmm. where he's just like, I'm going to eat this girl out because she has his you-know-what in her. I'm sorry? I'm not saying it. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's too far. I can do a lot of things. That's not one of them. You said you've read racier things. I've read them. I haven't talked about them. (laughs) Please be kind to me. This was a lot, Alan. (laughs) This is a lot to talk about. I'm still angry at you. you I know. Just wait for it, guys. Just wait. 
wait. But eventually Sasuke catches on that Naruto has been stalking him and basically lays a trap for Naruto. But there's also a trap for Sasuke in play because the government is trying to track down Sasuke and his brother Itachi? Yeah. Okay. So Sasuke and his brother Itachi, who were the last of this pure bloodline Mm -hmm. situation that poses sort of the last threat to this government. So the whole fic is mostly Sasuke and Naruto making a deal that Naruto is going to help Sasuke take down this government entity that has set him up and like is trying to assassinate him and get rid of him and his brother. They do so successfully, like over the course of the fic they do. They have sex a couple of times, like once in a warehouse and Naruto's super into it and like Sasuke's super into it, but Sasuke's playing it real cool. (laughs) And then Naruto's like, it's cool. I'll just go like jack off in the bathroom when you're done and then like not talk about this. (laughs) And Sasuke's like, okay, this is cool. And then around the same time, Gara mm-hmm. shows up, who is another Gmod soldier, and is like, so why are you still here? Like, <laughs> I'm confused. And he's like, well, why are you still here? And he's like, well, when you broke out of prison, a bunch of us broke out of prison, because, like, you just kind of left a hole in the wall. So I'm going to go get my sister. The thing there <laughs> is that Naruto purposefully Let went and, like, open. shut shut down the power to open the cells. Yeah, and he was like, I figured you all would just, like, book it and run. And Gara's like, well, my sister is still here. And mm. Naruto's like, you have a sister? And he was like, yeah, we technically all had family. <laughs> and he was like, what? What? <laughs> and they were like, yeah, either your family gave you up to the program or they were killed. And Naruto's like, great. So either way, I'm fucked. <laughs> Delightful. But Gara's like, well, if you need me, holler. I've been actually keeping an eye on things behind your back and making sure that you're good. What's up with this Sasuke guy? I don't need to know. And then like goes to like save his sister and is like, I'm just going to keep keeping an eye on you. And that's really how Naruto figures out that there's foul play here with the government trying to get rid of Sasuke. Because Naruto is a soldier and he says this a lot. He's brute force. Mm-hmm. He's not a strategic thinker. And he's not somebody who really thinks through tactics the same way that Sasuke does. Sasuke is very manipulative and very tactic forward. He's smart as a whip and very Mm -hmm. strong and can kill people very easily. But he is the brains of this operation. So that was sort of the first moment where Naruto is like, oh, there's more to this than whatever. So, you know, he... Goes back to Sasuke and they're like, okay, well, Sasuke tries to figure out who in the government is so, in on yeah. it. And so the not. whole thing is that Gara's sister is a, like a high-ranking uh, cyber security member mm-hmm. for the government. So she has access to the satellite cameras the mm-hmm. government government does, and she's been hacking into the mainframe to look for any time that she sees Naruto out on the street and deletes that footage. There's an incident uh, wherein Naruto follows Sasuke, and Sasuke and Itachi were about to go into like uh, an assassination basically and Naruto they were set up yeah they were set up and Naruto warns them and then they have an all out battle and Naruto helps and afterwards Gara asks his sister to go in and delete that footage and the sister tells him I've deleted it but someone was watching the camera and moved the camera to be looking there to make sure that the assassination went through so someone knows that Naruto's alive there's only, they say, like, 10 people in the government who have access to be able to move those cameras. Mm-hmm. And only, like, two of them are able to move those cameras without putting in an order. Mm-hmm. So that's how they're, like, slowly narrowing down, okay, it has to be these people, it has to be these people. And that's kind of what the whole middle of the fic is, is mm-hmm. Sasuke being like, okay, I know... And it, we mostly see this from Naruto's point of view. So we don't know what Sasuke's planning or what his strategies are. But Sasuke knows all of this. And so we as the readers are kind of like, well, I don't know what anything is happening, but yeah. great. But like, I'm super into Sasuke. Yeah. Like, he's cute. <laughs> he smells great. He smells great with my enhanced smelling. <laughs> 
Yeah, and so the whole point is that at some point, so Sasuke cooks up this plot to see which one of the two people who have access to that camera is going to come to kill him. Because Sasuke goes to hide out in one of the government's hideouts, and only one person is able to get in there. So if some, if that person comes to get him, he knows who it is. And if no one gets, comes to get him, he knows who the who it is because they right, don't have the access to the one, room. Yeah. What he didn't count on was that there was going to be cops at every fucking safe hideout in the right. city. And that those two were working together. Exactly. So it wasn't that it was either one of them. It's that both of them were working together to get rid of him as the last of this bloodline. So uh, as part of that as well, he had convinced Naruto to put on these cuffs that were like part of his torture and was like, okay, so the only way that we're going to get into this facility is if I bring you in as a prisoner. If you're going to come in as a prisoner, you have to be bound as if a prisoner would be, which means putting these on. And Naruto's like, you know exactly what they did to me in those. And I'm not fucking getting into them. And he was like, you're just going to have to trust me on this. So he does it. And one of the things that these two, it's like the chancellor and the like head of the government sort of like special ops organization or whatever, they have an overriding remote for these cuffs. And when it all goes to shit, because Sasuke wasn't accounting for these two working together, Naruto takes one of them and jumps out the window. And the other guy has an overriding remote and shocks him. Yeah. So the thing is that the plan was Sasuke has the remote to Naruto's handcuffs. And he's like, when shit goes down, I'm going to release you. And then you are going to attack them. Right. Because Naruto has brute strength and all of that stuff. And so at some point, Naruto tells him, they're both in on it. Let me out so that I can help. And Sasuke doesn't. Mm -hmm. And then Naruto hears the tasing about to come. He hears the um, handcuffs turn on. And he knows in the back of his head, he's like, I've got 30 seconds before they shock me. And fuck Sasuke and fuck everyone if they think that they're going to get me alive. So he runs out the window and he takes the guy. uh, So there's actually a third person, the guy who was running the Gmod experiments. Mm -hmm. He takes him, tells Sasuke, you better hope I don't live after this. Jumps out the fucking window, six stories high, and then is shocked. Yeah, because he believes he's been betrayed by Sasuke in that moment. Which is what the two who are in charge are hoping for. Because they want Naruto to turn on Sasuke so that they can assassinate Sasuke in that moment and claim it like, oh, this was all like... He endangered the chance of his life. Yeah, it was like a whole thing. So that's sort of the penultimate moment of Mm -hmm. this fic. Like, that's basically chapter 9 out of 10. Yeah. And then there is a brief window where we re-see some of the scenes that we've lived through, but through Sasuke's perspective instead of Naruto, where he's like, okay, so this is why I'm interested in Naruto. He's like, I'm actually, like, intrigued by this guy, which the whole time he's been very cold and, like, very controlling. He's referred to him as, like, my weapon all the time because he's a soldier and it's a thing. (laughs) And I was like, okay. And then it's a little bit, like, Dom-sub thing, but, like, not even really. It's just, like, he's pretty controlling. Yeah. It's, like, a little BDSM-y. Yeah. Like, whatever. And so Sasuke, like, you re-see some of it from perspective and what he's thinking and they mm-hmm. rehash it eventually he just like it come it catches back up with the narrative and he's like i don't know if naruto survived this i really hope he did i need to find him i need to find him and the way he finds him is that naruto had gone underground with gara and his sister mm. naruto has the sister empty out the bank account that sasuke had started for him and the only way that anybody would have had access to that bank account is with the number that naruto has memorized so he's like great naruto's alive yeah. that's the only way this money would be out of this account so he goes and tracks him down and finds him and is like I did not betray you this is what happened and like basically tells him all this but dear readers (laughs) do you know what he does in order to tell him all of this he kidnaps him (laughs) ties him down to 
a bed. It's romantic. And they have incredibly kinky sex. No, 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 not to a bed. A uh, giant steel girder. In oh, the that's what it was. I wasn't paying attention. At that I point. could tell at that point. I was next to you while you were. Oh yeah, that's that. true. I just finished this fic about twelve minutes ago. Your dedication to the podcast is unreal. Apparent. So we like they end up having like really aggressive hate sex, yep, basically. Basically. And Naruto was like, "Fuck you! Like you betrayed me." Blah blah blah. Sasuke's like, "I didn't do that." And like, I'm gonna prove it to you. And they just like end up screwing each other's brains out. Mm-hmm. And Naruto does ultimately believe him, and he's like, "Okay, like you convince me." And then they he untie he gets out of the bonds, yeah. and then they go take a shower, and then they screw in the shower. Yep. Too. And Sasuke's and like, they switch like they switch positions. They do switch positions. So Sasuke goes there. He was like, he realizes he's like, I came here with two intentions. One of which was stated, which was to convince you that I did not betray you, so that way you wouldn't come try to kill me. The second ulterior motive here is come back with me. And his brother doesn't know this. He has told Itachi that he's just going to like settle the score and then he'll come back because now he and Itachi are in power. Mm -hmm. So he's like, fine, like we're settled. I just don't want any loose ends. So he goes and he like settles the score and then he's like, well, actually you are part of a bloodline, like an elite bloodline that also is very important. You were hidden from the public eye because all of the older generations would recognize you immediately as the last of this bloodline. We have been using that as a means of gaining sympathy for our new administration and saying this previous administration took the last of this beloved family as a war prisoner Mm -hmm. and like genetically modified him and tortured him and all this stuff. We are so much better than that. Would you come back and confirm that and like really cement our power? And the last sentence of it is Naruto nods. And that's the end of the fic. So I will say this was incredibly well written yes i think the prose is really formal mm-hmm. in a way that fanfic often isn't yeah so there were times where it felt very repetitive like i joke about like oh, yeah. having the enhanced vision all the time <laughs> it did happen a lot where sure. it was like because it was stylized that way and very mm-hmm. formal there was a lot of repetition of certain things and it was also like so trying to place it in this like alt universe sci-fi dystopian yeah. thing that i think it leaned a little too heavily into that at some points and felt kind of repetitive where I was yeah. like trust that your reader knows what world we'll you're living in, in. Gaps, yeah. yeah where I was like I don't think you need to reiterate the scent thing all the time and like chemical blockers and yeah. all of these like terminology stuff mm-hmm. that once you've established it as part of the world I don't think you have to hammer it home so much yeah but that fair. didn't necessarily take it too far for me like it was still good some of the like darker sex stuff is like not things that I would voluntarily sure. should go out of my way to read so like whatever it didn't quite have you ever heard the term squick no Okay, so there is a term squick. It's gone out of favor in fandom circles, but I actually really like it a lot. Instead of kink shaming someone and being like, your kink is gross and I don't like it, you say like, oh, that squicks me. Which basically just means like, oh, I don't like that. Oh. But I'm not shaming you for it. It just makes me feel like kind of gross or weird and I don't like that. So I don't like that word. Oh, really? Not the meaning. I like that there's a word for it. Yeah. I just think it sounds weird. Like when people don't like the word moist. It is a weird word, but I do like that terminology for essentially what this fic is to me. Yeah, that's fair. Oh, that's not my thing. I get that, 100%. But from that perspective, I can read it and say, oh, but this is well done. Yeah. It's just not my thing. I appreciate that. Yeah. Very open-minded. Yep. We've come far in seven episodes here. <laughs> we really have. We've gone the gamut because I started out really nice, uh-huh. got really hangry and yeah. mean, uh-huh. and now I've returned to like, Welcome. it's cool. <laughs> yeah. So I'm sure it's just going to keep spiraling. Yeah. I would also rate this probably like a four. Yay, I'm so glad. Yeah, again, super well done. It's an interesting premise. I was wondering, I wanted to ask you, because I don't know anything about the actual Naruto like mm. anime or anything like that, how far removed this is from canon. Oh, a lot. Very far removed? So, well, 
Okay. First of all, here's my second rant of the episode. Oh boy. There's so many. This In this episode, one. we hear more from Alan than we have ever heard before. <laughs> Combined. Naruto fanfictions, particularly Sasuke and Naruto fics, were the first things I read in mm-hmm. fanfiction ever. Ooh, it was the ship Alan. that I sailed on towards fanfiction. Wow. So I was very like nervous about like, okay, I need... Are you I, a little protective of it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. Okay. And it's a thing of... God, when did I start reading fanfiction? Like when I was 14. I'm 24, 10 years. Right. I've been on this ship for 10 years. You're a captain. And never in my entire life have I talked to anyone about this. <gasps> like, like the. Right now yeah, is it? This <gasps> is it. And hearing you say, like, Naruto and Sasuke, like, both, like, stopped my heart, like, oh God, and, like, made me really happy. <laughs> oh, <good. laughs> so welcome. Yay. Um, yeah, so the whole thing with, uh, it doesn't take place in the same universe at all. It's mm-hmm. in the manga slash anime. They're training to be ninja. They're, like, secret villages hidden in, like, like, uh, forests and, like, among sand dunes and, like, in the oh. Arctic and waterfalls. And so they are from the village. The four, the four corners of the world. <laughs> There's more than that. I sand just... dunes and waterfalls. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That's I okay. love that. <laughs> Continue. They're from the village hidden in the leaves. Um, yep. I love it. <laughs> That's so funny. And it's split into two series, essentially. There's okay. Naruto, and then there's Naruto Shippuden. Okay. Naruto takes place when they're about 12 to 13, oh, so 14 young. years. Young, yeah. And it starts with, like, Naruto and Sasuke and all of their friends. There's a whole gamut of them, as you know. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe you don't know, but... I don't know. There's a whole cast of characters. I know that there's a lot of them just because of... You can't exist on the internet and not have some semblance of an idea sure. of what this is, because particularly in fandom, people talk about coming from this fandom in particular. Yep, yep, yep. So it shows them, like, training, getting their teams mm-hmm. and going on their first missions with capture that lady's cat who ran away again and, like, really cutesy stuff like oh. that. And it, they go through the gamut and there's so many, like, huge arcs and actually the the warden in this fic who was the guy who did the GMOD experiments, his name is Orochimaru and he is a snake-like ninja mm. in the anime and he is, like, the big baddie of the whole first arc oh. of it. Okay, I'm trying to figure out how to place all of this. So, Naruto, when he was a baby, got this giant fox demon. He became the host to this thing. Sure. Yeah, just roll with me here. I'm accepting the premise. Continue. Thank you, I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. So everyone knows that he's holding this demon inside mm-hmm. of his body. Mm-hmm. And so he grew up with that parent. He grew up alone, essentially a ward of the state. Mm-hmm. And so he's very used to being ostracized and having no friends. And so he acts out. Like, always the class clown and like mm-hmm. being really loud to get people's attention. It isn't until a teacher takes pity on him and teaches him like this technique that Naruto really starts to come into his own and like, I am strong and I can do kind of do this. And that sets off the whole Naruto like series Mm -hmm. Um, so that's important context is that in the series Naruto has this demon inside of him and when he was growing up he was ostracized for it Sasuke comes from the Uchiha and they are like the police division in the village so they're very powerful and they Mm -hmm. have this bloodline trait so that comes from the show yes okay I think it's it's called the Sharingan and it's essentially red eyes that gives him enhanced vision so he (laughs) has the enhanced vision (laughs) yes this whole time we're talking about Naruto's enhanced vision but it's actually Sasuke who has have it, yeah. But, like, Sasuke's isn't genetically modified. It's just part of his bloodline. And so his story is that one night, Sasuke wakes up in the middle of the night and finds his mother and father dead, and he runs around his family's compound, essentially, to find that the entire Uchiha's have been slain, mm. and finds his older brother Itachi, oh. and Itachi was the one who killed everyone, but chooses to leave his brother alive. And oh. so, at the start of the Naruto series, Sasuke's only mission is to grow strong enough to hunt down his brother and kill him. 
Oh, so this takes this very differently. Yes, there are certain elements that it jumps off of. Right. But yeah. Because in this, like, him and his brother are really, like, they're separate, but they're like... Well, there's also... They're a pair and they're working for the same thing. Further into the, in the second half of the series when they're older, when they're like 16 to 17, you find out that the reason Itachi killed his family was because he found out that his family was planning a coup on the village and they were going to take the village by force. Oh. And Itachi chooses not to let that happen and kills everyone. Oh. So... Okay. Anyway. It's still very different setup. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so back to, like, Orochimaru, the main baddie in the first one, promises Sasuke, like, I can teach you the power that you want to kill Mm -hmm. your brother. And Sasuke is lured away by this at the end of the first part of the series. And so he chooses to leave the village and, like, become a rogue, essentially. Mm -hmm. And Naruto goes after him. Him and his friends, like, a group of his friends follow after Sasuke. And they fight these, like, really advanced ninja to try and get to Sasuke. And the ending of the Naruto series the first half when they're young is a huge battle between Naruto and Sasuke where essentially they're like talking about how they've been rivals for so long but also the only people that they like respect and know and Mm -hmm. are on the same level it's so good it's Mm -hmm. so fulfilling and yeah Cool. Yeah. So I knew when we were doing Enemies to Lovers, I was like, there's only one Enemies to Lover type relationship out in the world that I know of that oh. I need to tell everyone about, and it's this one. That so makes sense. I was going to send you what was required reading for anyone in the uh, Sazunaru fanfiction world, mm-hmm. uh, but I started rereading it also super ridiculous mm-hmm. long. All of the Sasunaru Vicks I have are like 200,000 words or wow. something like that. They're up there. Yeah. Um, so this was very long and I started reading it and it's not very good. <laughs> oh no! It's unfortunate. I'm going to reread it in the hopes that I can throw it in for a different category because I would still like you to have that experience. Mm-hmm. But what I've realized is that a lot of this follows a kind of mold. Mm-hmm. Like enemies very much, friends very much, obsessed very much, and then sex. A lot of sex, a lot of sex, a lot of sex. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's so interesting because as a teenager I didn't really notice it, mm-hmm. but I was a horny teenager, which sure. you would not have that experience. I did not, re- yeah, that's not my experience, but I understand that it happened to exactly. people. <laughs> so it was an interesting thing to note. So, yeah, thank you. You're welcome. For reading it. And yeah, it. I didn't hate it. There'll be more. Oh, good. Yeah, I will say anime has never been my thing. Sure. And it's not just like this anime. Like, that's not something that I've ever gravitated to. Not for any more reason. There's just never been one that like really struck my fancy. But I know a lot about certain animes from friends who were really into things. Yeah. So I have a lot of sort of like adjacent knowledge yeah. of things. So that's I, fair. So walking into this, I knew the names and I had enough background information that it wasn't like totally going in blind, cool. which was probably helpful. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. But now, now that that door is open, yeah. there's going to be so much anime. We have opened uh, Sasuke's Pandora's box. <laughs> Sasuke's box. Which sounds like a sex thing. It does. All right. All right. And now, dear listeners, Alan cries for 45 minutes. Go. <laughs> <laughs> what did I send you, Alan? I can't even... Uh, Aaron Murphy. <laughs> When I sent this to Alan, friends, so we have a Google Doc, which we discussed before, and the comment that I left on this fic was, and I quote, give yourself time to read this, because it's long as fuck, and we'll destroy you emotionally. Please know that Alan stayed up all night reading this, and that's part of why he's only gotten 11 hours of sleep in the last 48. Okay. And he's still not okay. Nope. He's shaking a little bit. I really am. I am not well. This is fully one of my favorite fan fictions of all time. Any okay. fandom. Okay. So, that's it. The fic you sent me is Something Good by HMG Fanfic. It's an archive of our own. And it's uh, the magician's fic. So, Aaron... <laughs> I know we never said straight out we should do, you know, different fandoms every episode, but... 
But I didn't. Erin, <laughs> please. Guys, I need you to know that o- the only fan fiction I've read in the last, like, three months is Quellian. Like, not even just magicians. Quellian, specifically. I understand. I'm hyper fixating. Erin, if you come back next episode with two more magicians fakes, I think I'm going to throw you out the window. That's fine. <laughs> I'll go out happy. <laughs> the summary is, in every possible timeline, Quentin and Elliot find their way to each other, including this one. No beast. No quests, yet including the greatest challenge of all, a timeline where Quentin's exam guide and first friend was uh, Todd. Rom-com fun for the soul, or in which Quentin is allowed to find joy. Now, I would first like to start with, okay, let me set the scene. (laughs) I worked late Friday night. I didn't get home till 1130, and then I had to be up at work at like six the next morning. So I was running up five hours there. I had to work until like five or six. Got home, showered, and then at around 8 o'clock, I lay down and I was like, okay, time to read the last fic. This was yesterday, readers. The last fic that Aaron sent me. It's 14 chapters. I was like, okay, at my reading rate, I think I can knock out seven tonight, wake up early tomorrow, and do the next seven. That didn't happen. (laughs) (laughs) That's not at all what happened. Um, Somewhere around 2 a.m., I also texted Aaron with, like, I hate you. Don't ever speak to me again. He said, I hope you're not awake, but also fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) Basically. Um... I, I finished chapter seven and I was at chapter eight and I was like, well, if I read one more chapter, I, I will be uh, like one ahead tomorrow and that'll be fine. That was the mistake. That mm-hmm. was where the hook came. And then I couldn't stop until they were happy, yep. <laughs> which didn't happen until 5 a.m. listeners. <laughs> 5 a.m. And then I woke up at 10 this morning because I had like, plans with Aaron. Chapter 13. <laughs> oh, God. So I'm very emotionally vulnerable. Yep. Also, let's talk about the fact the fact HMG fanfic that you're in your summary, you said rom-com fun for the soul. <laughs> and when I read that summary, I was like, Oh, yeah. I was like, well, Aaron's in an emotional place right now with this fan, like with this fandom. Uh-huh. So I, she probably, it would just probably hit her a lot harder than I think it'll hit me. Nope. I was wrong. I was so wrong. Compared to her other work. No. This is so much fluffier. <sighs> Which is insane. I can't do it. Isn't that crazy? So let me just walk you. Okay, so you're going to have to walk me through a lot of it, and I'm going to paraphrase. So this is one of those fics that was like revisionist. It is. It It is revisionist. At what point does it stop following the show and become its own thing? Does it ever? At the beginning. So it presumes a world. So in the show, Elliot is the person who greets Quentin. When he shows up at break oh. In this, Todd, who is a character that is sort of like openly mocked the entire series. Oh, He's just kind of a bit character. Like, he is the one who greets Quentin when he's at break bills. So from the very beginning, it's a different, it's like a what if scenario. Right, right, right. Um, you know, when they talk about no beasts, no, no quest, like yeah. no any of that. That happened so early in the series that, like, this really presumes a world in which that initial sort of group of people were never impacted by external forces, which oh, is not at all what happens in the show. So the, there's somewhere in the middle, there's uh, talks about trials and stuff like that. Is that not something that's from That the show? happens in the show. Okay. So it takes some bits of it and restructures it a little bit. Because like, it also, like, it talks about cancer puppy. That's a thing that happened in the show. Right, which I looked up because I was like, what the fuck is cancer puppy? Yeah, but they... Very, very sad. The results of those... 
like, canon things are often very different. Right. Like, in the show, Cancer Puppy dies. Yeah. Like, he doesn't he doesn't fix it. I get it. In this, they actually do fix him. Yep. To an extent. Like, so situations like that, where it takes yeah. certain bits and pieces of it. I knew this was going to be hard without the context of the show, but that it would yeah. still be really good without yeah. it. Mm-hmm. And that was, so I was like, I'll just explain some stuff. So the thing that I love about her writing is that this author in particular, I think, is really good at getting at the heart of each character. And writing from the heart of each character and understanding who they would be in certain scenarios. Yeah. So I f- it feels super authentic, yeah. despite the fact that it is so divergent from canon. Gotcha. Because I think she has a real handle on who these people are and how they would respond to certain things. So from that perspective, it feels really true to the show. Mm-hmm. Like, Quentin and Margot are friends in the show, but the show writers glossed over it so fast and just kind of, like, let it die she takes that and, like, runs with it and has Margot and Quentin have a real relationship that feels yeah. authentic. So, like, it's almost like an idealized version of what I kind of wish the show had had the time to yeah. explore. So, from that perspective, I think it's really authentic. Cool. I am going to do the best of... It's a long fic. It's... Oh, God. It is so long. Um. So, yeah, it starts with Quentin's, like, first day at Break Bills. And pretty early on, when Todd is giving him the tour, they, they go to the physical kid's cottage Mm -hmm. and he uh todd pisses off um elliot who is like the uh what they call him the party king yeah he's the party king of break bills which is again canon i figured and his and he like is mocking todd and todd's you know just taking it like a pleb and quentin is like no i like todd he's my friend he's been nothing but nice to me and he like stands up to elliot and elliot is like who are you and excuse me todd's friend exactly Mm -hmm. todd's friend and it's like not exactly a meet cute. <laughs> no. Very not. Elliot is not nice. He's not. He's an asshole. Yeah. Basically tells him to get fucked. Like, he yeah. basically is like, you don't get a drink in this house. Todd's friends don't get drinks in this house. Go drink beer like the rest of the peons, and you're so far below me. And Quentin's like, wow, what a dick. So I'm skipping ahead. Um, mm-hmm. So one thing that Quentin does to kind of, like, ground himself and, like, meditate or, you know, mm-hmm. appease any anxiety he has is, like, he rereads the Fillory books. Mm-hmm. And he's reading one um, by a tree... And Margot comes up behind him and is reading alongside him. And then they geek out because mm-hmm. Margot is also a really big fillery, like, nerd. Yeah. And it's so sweet. Yeah. And for a moment, Quentin is like, what bullshit are you trying to pull from me? And she's like, who's your favorite character? And, like, they have, like, this conversation. He's like, oh, you're genuine about this. Like, and that's <laughs> the first moment that they bond, which is, again, something that kind of happens in this show. Where, cool. like, Margot liking fillery and knowing the fillery books is how they do become friends initially. I mean, and that is kind of, like, how Quentin starts, like, becomes enfolded into, like, the the physical kids like group like with Elliot and like mm-hmm. Elliot and Quentin still are, don't are not like on even footing and like yeah, they're still like uh, walking on like eggshells around each other and at some point Quentin is just like I don't get why you don't like me Elliot tells him well I why would you think I don't like you and Quentin tells him because like you literally just called me Todd's friend and like like tells him what happened yeah. during their first meeting and Elliot. Like, pauses and says, you know what, you're right, I, I apologize, I never meant for you to think that I didn't like you. Right. He was like, that's just my persona, like, that's who I am. Yeah. And kind of, like, brushes it off. And Quinn's like, no, that's bullshit. And then they agree to, like, kind of start over and, like, be more friendly to each other. <sighs> and... And that's where it starts. And that's, that's, that's where it starts. And that's where Alan started dying slowly. <laughs> and then there's a lot of things that happen. Like, Julia's in the fic, too, and she's mm-hmm. really awesome. And like, This does presume a world in which Julia is in break bills as a knowledge student. It's one of the factors in the show that was changed. So, in the version of the show that we see, Julia is not at break bills, and she gets declined from the school, and that's, like, a big catalyst for her. 
but in previous timelines, she had been at Breakbills and been a really powerful like witch and all of this stuff. So this presumes a timeline in which she also goes to Breakbills and is in it and actually thrives. Oh, that hurt. Yep. Okay. Uh, so Julia's there too, and they're mm-hmm. friends, and it's all nice. Yep. Um, Quentin and Julia go through the trial, and like Quentin's truth to Julia is that he wants to actively choose happiness, and like mm-hmm. he doesn't, he no, he no longer is feeling that like abject hopelessness that he was before coming to break bills, and he wants to be happy and make moves towards that. And somewhere along the line, like shortly thereafter. Um, he gets a boyfriend mm-hmm. named Ryan, who's an original character. That is an original male character. Yes. Correct. He is an illusion kid, which mm-hmm. is kind of important because he's not a physical kid. So Elliot kind of like scoffs at it and is like, and Margot is like, Margot's no, not having it. No, he like, he like wears sweater vests. What the fuck is this? It's a stale piece of bread. <laughs> yeah. Like you can do so much better. And Julia's like, but he's nice to you. Like yeah. that is so important. You. Like people should be nice to you, and Elliot kind of is in the background, like. If he makes you happy, then cool. Yep, mm-hmm. that's yep. how I feel. Mm-hmm. Cool. I'm not emotionally stunted in any way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, anyway, so they do. They go save Cancer Puppy. They save Cancer Puppy. Um, and uh, throughout this, Quentin and Elliot have been like more friendly towards each other and more open and like getting to know each other. What the reader is picking up on that Quentin is not is that Elliot is clearly trying to woo him. Yep. Elliot's interested. Quentin is oblivious. Mm-hmm. And part of it is that he has had an attraction to him since day one. And as their like friendship progresses, he's like, oh no, he's he's attractive and actually there's more to him than meets the eye, but like he will never pick me. And Quentin has such low self-esteem that he's well, that's just like, one thing nope. that was one thing that I think really like hit me from the stick because mm-hmm. again I have really so low mm-hmm. self-esteem and the whole time I'm like Yikes. I, like, I felt it. It might be part of why I'm hyperfixating. Yeah, well, thanks. Thanks. You were on the Titanic, and I was was safely on this raft, (laughs) and you're like, hey, come come on the Titanic with me. And I shot the raft. (laughs) So now here we are, both freezing to death in the Atlantic. (laughs) We do not have a door to hold on to. God damn. We're just dying. So... His relationship with his uh, boyfriend at this point, Ryan, is, like, getting really rocky. Um, There's a whole dinner party that Margot insists, like, like, she's like, I'm going to plan it. He has to come meet us. Yeah. And so Ryan comes with Todd, and it's a shit show. Like, Margot is cruel to poor Ryan. And And Quentin doesn't really give her a passport either. No, no, no. What the fuck, dude? Exactly, the whole time. And it's just so rough because as the reader, you know that it's because Margot, like, knows that Elliot has feelings for Quentin. And she's mm-hmm. doing it because she's protective of him and she's like, you could do better. They talk past each other, the whole fic. Mm-hmm. And something else that I thought was really interesting and well done was that when Quentin had, like, depressive episodes, I thought those were handled really nicely. Yeah. And, like, it wasn't just after horror mm-hmm. and, like, I was just staring at a wall type thing, like... She walks you through, like, he went to class, and he, but he's just, like, not talking and doesn't want to talk mm-hmm. to anyone. It's, like, feeling drained. And something he does is, like, hand washes dishes because, it, like, it's therapeutic for him. Yeah. So I thought that was really nicely mm-hmm. done. And you get another one of these kind of episodes when Ryan breaks up with Quentin because Ryan is being expelled or kicked out. He's of flunking out, he's, yeah. He flunks out, essentially, and they're going to, like, remove his memories of everything. So obviously he can't be with Quentin. And Quentin spirals into this thing. And it there's this whole moment where Elliot 
is talking to Quentin and he's like, why, like, there's other guys, like, just, yeah. you know, fuck someone else, you'll get over it in two weeks. And Quentin is like, it's not even about the breakup. And he's right. like, I, I know that makes me an asshole. Like, I understand that. But it's not about, like, Ryan. It's about the fact that someone can clunk out and not be good enough to be here and then gets kicked out and then they lose all memory of being here. Mm-hmm. And this has been, like, the happiest Quentin has ever been and he's fucking terrified. And that's actually kind of one of the conversations where Elliot really gets real with him. Yeah. Because Elliot is a king of artifice and pretense. Mm-hmm. And, like, this comes from the show. Like, he yeah. has built such an armor around who he is as an actual person from the trauma of his past that, like, Quentin is one of the only people, aside from Margot, who even gets a glimpse at who he is as a person. And he realizes that, like, he needs to do that. to yeah. And, like, he wants to for the first time. And that's part of what makes his feelings for Quentin so scary is that he's like, oh, this is somebody who makes me want to be someone who gives a shit, which is not something I've wanted to be mm-hmm. up until now. I didn't give two shits about anybody and then all of a sudden you come along and i just want to i want you to feel better and i'm willing to give pieces of myself to you which is terrifying to elliot i so skip let's skip ahead a little um there's a point where uh in this universe katie and penny are in like a polyamorous relationship with julia on and off and this is uh during one of their off periods And Katie comes up to Quentin asking for help. Like, hey, how do I talk to her? Like, how do I get through to Julia? Like, I want to be with her and stuff like that. And Quentin says, well, have you talked to her? Have you told her this? Have you said the words, I love you out loud? Exactly. And Katie's like, no, what? And Elliot, who's right next to Quentin, is like, well, but you've shown it, right? Like, like, you've made it obvious. You've, like, actions speak louder than words. And Quentin's like... No, like, you should tell her. Like, how the hell is she supposed to know if you don't verbally say it? He says, Julia's like me. Exactly. She needs to hear it. Yep. And Elliot just goes... Mm, yeah, he gets fuck. so frustrated and he just yeah. shuts down. Elliot, why didn't you take yeah. the memo? Well, also, part of this is, like, there's a moment that's a little bit pulled from canon, but recontextualized in an interesting way, where... Elliot and Quentin are sitting on a couch drinking wine and Quentin is really sad about his dad being sick yeah. and Elliot kind of like goes to move in and like actually hold him like physically show physical holding, affection yeah. and like hold like and sort of make a move and Quentin says like we're friends right and he's just like yeah we're friends and he's like and isn't that the best that we could have ever hoped for, considering? That's the best possible outcome. Isn't that the best possible outcome? And Elliot is like, oh, you're rejecting me in that moment. Yeah, because, so, Quentin is, like, head in, is uh, is in Elliot's chest. And Elliot is, like, kissing his hairline. And uh, Quentin is, like, freaking out a little on the answer. Because he's like, I'm going to lose my dad. And I, I'm so scared of losing other people that really matter to me. Mm-hmm. And I know that I feel this way about Elliot, and I know he's never going to feel this way about me, but I need, I want to let him know how much he means to me. And so in his brain, that's like, you know, I want you to know you're my best friend. and You're important to me. Exactly. And Elliot is like, oh, cool, yeah. And that's when Quentin is like, oh, he slightly thinks that Elliot might be onto what he feels for him. Mm-hmm. And so Quentin says, and that's, that's the best possible outcome, right? Like, that we get to be in each other's lives. Um, but any whomst, that happens. And that... <sighs> Readers, that was the end of chapter eight. Yeah, and that is when I spiraled. There's <laughs> 14 chapters. I... And so to save you guys the heartache that I went through, like the rest of the fic is like, Elliot essentially shuts down and doesn't want to be around Quentin anymore. Um, he takes it very hard and Quentin... He drinks heavily. Heavily. 
And Quentin doesn't understand at all why this is happening. And he's, like, trying to... And Margot is pissed at Quentin, too. Like, downright pissed. Quentin has already realized how he feels for Elliot. And Elliot... And this is this is post the best possible outcome conversation. Mm-hmm. There's a Spanish uh, magician who comes to visit named Guillermo. From Ibiza. From Ibiza. If you're familiar with the magicians, basically there's this Encanto Ecolto thing, which is like every year all these the hottest magicians go to Ibiza and have like orgies and a party and whatever. And um, they had met Guillermo at the previous year's orgy. Correct. And we're very excited to see him again. So Elliot is like trying to drown himself in alcohol and Guillermo's thighs. Um, I'm trying to remember exactly what it is that triggers Elliot, but at some point he just like decides I need to get drunk and drinks a bottle and a half of tequila. He gets very drunk, comes up to Quentin uh, like an hour or two later, and Quentin has to take him upstairs, struggle him up the stairs because Elliot is being like a noodle and won't cooperate. Yeah. Um, they get up to right next to Elliot's bedroom and Elliot pushes Quentin against the wall and starts like kissing his neck and like his ears. Mm-hmm. And he's like, stay with me tonight. I don't want to be alone. And Quentin wants to. Desperately wants to. So bad. And you as the reader are like, do it. Yeah. <laughs> Just do it. Fuck the consequences. Right. But Quentin is a good noodle. He makes a good decision. For sure. 100%. The For correct the decision. For right reasons. Yes. Mm-hmm. Consent given while someone is intoxicated or not able yeah. to give, like, actual consent is not consent. So right. he made the correct decision. And, like, not to mention all of the, like, how it would have ruined the friendship or whatnot. Or right. the, the back backlash of that. Right. Um, decides not to... And Elliot reads it even more as, okay, he, like, I threw myself at him, like, fully. Like, there's no way he could have misconstrued anything, and he still doesn't want me. Fine. So, Quentin doesn't have Elliot, doesn't have Margot, and it is the worst time in my entire fucking life. And after that, so, Josh Hoberman is another character in the yes. show. And Josh is a graduating senior. He's doing his final thesis on, like, magical food, because that's, like, his thing, is mm-hmm. cooking or whatever. And they're all planning as a friend group to go to Paris. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That night at, like, four in the morning, Quentin texts Josh and is like, I'm not going to fucking Paris. Yeah. Because he's not going to go with Quentin. He's not going to go with Elliot. He's like, this this is ruined. Like, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. And so he decides he's not going to go. And Josh is like, what the fuck, man? And he's like, sorry, you'll find someone else to take my spot. And he like, kind of doesn't cop to it. You should tell the rest of this. <laughs> this is your <laughs> summary. Unless you want me to keep going. Please go. So, um, <laughs> it's fine, Alan. So Margot hears tell of this and is like, you fucking shithead. You are coming to Paris with me. And Well, it's because at some point yeah. she realizes that Quentin doesn't know that Elliot loves him. Right. And that he didn't actually reject Elliot. He's right. just clueless. He just doesn't know. And Margot's like, these two fuckers mm-hmm. are just talking across each other. Yep. And they are playing the ultimate game of, like, gay chicken. <laughs> and it's so fucking game, frustra- frustrating. So Elliot is taking Guillermo to Paris. And Margot <sighs> sees this as an opportunity. And she's like, you are my date. And he's like... I'm not going as your fucking date. She was like, you don't have a choice. So basically, like, strong arms him yep. into going to Paris with her as her date yep. without Elliot's knowledge. It's- so they go to Paris, and Margot is like, we're going to dress you up. We're going to put you in a really nice McQueen suit. We're going to slick your hair back. You're going to look fucking stellar yeah. because nothing less for my arm. Thank you. Yep, yep. And she drives him to Paris, and Elliot sees him and kind of loses his shit mm-hmm. and is like, what the fuck are you two doing? Because he was not expecting to see Quentin, and Quentin is so thrown by this, and he's like, I really had hoped that we could still be friends, but clearly that's not the <laughs> case. Quentin. And 
he was like, I'm so sorry. But he doesn't understand the anger fully. That's the worst part. Yeah, he doesn't be, know what he did wrong. To he be has, on the end of that and not know. Yeah. Oh, that's one of my biggest fears. Yeah, so Elliot really gives him the cold shoulder and is really mad. Kind of flaunts Guillermo at him and is like... Tries. In, trying to insinuate that he and Guillermo are like getting serious. Yeah. And Quentin is like very heartbroken by that because at this point he fully has admitted to himself that he's in love with Elliot and that it's never going to go anywhere and that he should just accept it and move on and like he just doesn't want he was like I just don't want to lose him yeah I want him to be a part of my life yeah so they go to this dinner in Paris and Todd has a fucking breakdown (laughs) (laughs) fucking Todd (laughs) fucking Todd has a breakdown because Elliot is being rude. Okay, to but Quentin. really quick, really quick, yeah. before you get into this, yeah, I need to, like something happens right before the Todd breakdown that was, I think the most heartbreaking, well, maybe not the most heartbreaking, but one of the most heartbreaking moments of the entire fiction, and I like had to stop and stop for two minutes. Oh no, which one was it? Um, so at some point when they're getting to know each other, Quentin and Elliot are like talking, and Elliot asks Quentin, "What's your favorite drink?" and Quentin, you know, gives some, like, uh, intellectual answer, like, a, a whiskey neat or something yeah. like that. And Elliot's like, okay, now what is it really? And Quentin's yeah. like, a mojito. Yeah. <laughs> and then Quentin asks Elliot, so then what's yours? And Elliot tells him, well, champagne. And one of my dreams is to just, like, be able to be with someone, you know, just enjoying a bottle of really nice champagne together. Like, it's one of my dreams. So at this dinner in Paris... Fucking Margot orders like a really fancy ass bottle of champagne and Elliot sees this, kind of snaps and comes over and asks Margot, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. And Margot's like, just enjoying a bottle of champagne and Elliot reaches to grab the bottle of champagne and Margot's like, no, this is just for me and Quentin. And the fucking like hurt that flashes on Elliot's face keeps me up at night. It's brutal. And then Todd loses his shit. And then Todd kind of sees this interaction and sees the way that Elliot is treating Quentin this whole time. And Todd has put up with a lot of shit from Elliot. Like, Elliot treats him like shit in this whole thing. Margot does too. And he just kind of snaps. Like, Mm -hmm. he loses his mind. He's like, Quentin, like, neither of you deserve Quentin in your life. Like, Margot, you act like an absolute heinous bitch to everybody you met, like me. And you treat people like dirt. And you expect them to just, like, kowtow to you all the time. And, like, Elliot, you think you're hot shit, but, like, actually, Quentin, like, you don't even deserve, like, to lick the ground that Quentin walks on. Like, I don't even understand why you're friends with them. Both of you are so terrible. And it just spectacularly falls apart at this dinner. And even Quentin is like, this is so inappropriate. Like, it's it's real. Like, it's coming from a place of, like, understandable frustration and hurt. But wow, Todd, this was not the mm-hmm. moment to uncork. Or the way to do or it. Or the way to do it. And it's just this absolute spectacular implosion yeah. of feelings. And it, it is kind it of, was painful to read through. Yeah, it was like you just felt it and like but it brings up a lot of the stuff to the surface for all of the characters. Yeah. And really just shatters the dinner. Yeah. And Josh is like, oh shit. Alright, cool. Well, this is <laughs> Fuck my, my dinner. Yeah, this is my thesis, but like this is cool. What happens is that in telling Margot off, Margot is like, you know, kind of resilient and like mm-hmm. that's fine. And she's like used to people calling her things. And one of the things that Todd throws at her is the fact that she just sees Quentin as like a like a little pet or something mm-hmm. to keep that she'll throw away when he's bored. Elliot said said the same thing when he said that uh, he told Quentin that you were basically a Tamagotchi. Yeah. And like Margot is so hurt that Elliot would 
think that of her and say it to another person and that triggers her to start crying and like storm off and then Elliot runs after her and Quentin runs after them both to then be told like to fuck off. And then what happens, dear readers, is maybe the most painful chapter of fic I've ever read. I don't want to talk about it. So Margot goes out into this garden behind this restaurant that they're at. And she's crying and Quentin comforts her. And like Elliot's kind of off in the background a little bit. So Quentin and Margot are talking and, you know, Quentin's like, I never thought that you think of me that way. Like, you can be a little brisk. And she's like, I know who I am. Yeah. I know that I can be a bitch, but it comes from a place of deeply loving everybody and you're included in that. And I need you to know that. And I need you to know that. And so they, like, bond pretty hardcore and, like... Elliot walks over and is really angry that they are bonding so hardcore. Yeah. And basically throws some more barbs their way. And Quentin's like, what the fuck is going on? And in that sort of start, like the very sort of like fledgling argument that's brewing between Elliot and Quentin, Margot's like, I lost my ring. Oh my God, it's my grandmother's ring Mm -hmm. and it's so important to me. And they kind of put their argument on pause and they start looking around for this ring. And Margot casts a secrets ward, which... If you know from the show, secrets magic can only be broken if you tell the secret that the spell is asking for. So in the trials, it's secrets magic. You can't get out of the bindings until you speak your deepest truth. There's no way around it. The spell that she casts is basically like a dome that encapsulates the two of them. And they have to speak their absolute truth about their feelings for each other in order to get out. And she had been lying about the ring yep, the of whole time she and she had kind of used the the moment with the tamagotchi to like that was her break for it right so she was upset but like she wasn't she was kind of it was her well, no chance. because she mentions that the original plan was to do it in the bedroom for, right. the, to, for there to be a bed yeah so she it sees her like, opportunity and she yeah, takes it yeah and it's super manipulative oh 100 percent. but she like looks from the outside of the dome and is like bye fuckers yeah, like, i go take a bubble bath yeah i'm gonna go do with this and you guys are gonna figure yourselves out and like runs away And Elliot is absolutely enraged. Like, absolutely enraged. And Quentin is so hurt. And the two of them are trapped in this dome together. And they can't get out until they speak their truth. Mm -hmm. Elliot tries really hard to, like, physically break the dome. Does everything he can possibly do to get them out of it. And Quentin just kind of sits quietly and, like, is very scared of what's going to happen. And he's like... He's also, like, deeply hurt, and he's like, why won't you talk to me? You won't even look at me. Like, what did I do? Just tell me what I did so I can fix Mm -hmm. it. I'm so lost without my friend. And, like, Elliot's like, it's not you, it's me. I have been the one who has been separating myself from you. And Quentin's like, why? And Elliot just, like, won't even really talk to him about it. Well, they start having this whole conversation, and Quentin is like, maybe there's a chance of a hope here that we can fix this friendship issue. And he's, like, he goes on and on about, like, why he loves Paris so much. Yeah. And he's really talking about why he loves Elliot. Yeah. And it's pretty clear that, like, from Quentin's perspective that he's actually talking about Elliot. And Elliot doesn't pick up on it at all. Because actions speak louder than words. Right. So then Elliot is, like, well, heart, he's, like, it's not me, it's you. Or it's not you, it's me. (laughs) And, you know, you know why. This is so hard. And Quentin mm-hmm. is like, oh, Elliot is the most socially aware person I've ever met. Yeah. And I have all of the tact of a tractor trailer. Mm-hmm. He knows and has been trying to let me down easy. Yeah. Our entire friendship. Margot knew and was trying to help let me down, let me down easy. 
And now I've just gone on this whole rant about how much I love, quote, Paris. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. This is bad. Yeah. He does not like me that way. Oh. And this, and, he, and I have been ignoring the signs the whole time. Right. Quentin is just absolutely heartbroken and is like, oh, God. And the way she describes it is like, so he just fell off a cliff emotionally. Yes. And Elliot is like, all right, here's the deal. I think this ward wants us to say out loud, I'm in love with you. Because Margot believes that we are in love with each other. Yeah. I know it's painful, but we're just going to have to do it. Like, do it. And actually say those words out loud and it will fall. It will trigger this to fall. I know it's not true, but... And Quentin has this moment of just like, oh, fuck. Like, this is going to hurt a lot. And Elliot says something along the lines of, like, well, harder for you than for me. And Quentin, in this moment, believes that Elliot doesn't like him and knows that Quentin has feelings for him. And now he's just being an asshole. And Quentin is so angry. Because he's like, you don't have to be an asshole about this. Yeah. Like, excuse me? And Quentin, like, Elliot has a moment of like, what do you mean? Like, what did I say? And he's like, fine, I fucking love you. And he's really angry. And Elliot is like, so taken aback by this. And finally, it's just like, I love you too. And the ward falls. And Elliot storms out. Books it. Books it. And Quentin is like, no, come back, talk to me for a minute. And he's like, you need to stay the fuck away from me. And basically, it's like, I basically never want to see you again for now. Like, you, I, need space. I need so much space from you. Yeah. And Quentin takes that as like, I can't be around you because I know, you, like, because I know. And they're just devastated. And I am devastated. <laughs> um. Yeah, so... Quentin goes back to the hotel where Margot was staying, and Margot is like, How did it go? He's <laughs> like, Shimmying! Like, I'm so ready. It hurts. Even that hurts so badly. And so, Quentin so bad. Quentin is devastated. Ugh. He's like, How did this happen? Like, how did you get out of this ward without talking past each other? And he was like, I don't know what the fuck is wrong with you, like, making this thing when you knew just as well as he did that I had feelings for him and he didn't have any for me. He told me to basically get lost. This was so un unbelievably cruel of you to do this to me. Yeah. And Margot's like, it was secrets magic. Both of you had to say the words I love you and it for for it to be true for that magic to come down. And he was like, obviously it's not. And he was like, she's like, here's the fucking spell. And hands him a letter. Mm -hmm. Julia wrote the spell. Yeah. And <laughs> explains it. And he looks at it and he goes, oh my God, you're right. Yeah. We both had to be telling the truth, which means he loves me. <laughs> and he loses his goddamn little mind. Yes, he does. Oh, my favorite line of this whole yep. thing happens. Where is it? You know, hey. And she sticks her hands out for him to shake. <laughs> and she goes, happy to meet you here. And he goes, uh, where? And she goes, on the same fucking page. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so he freaks out and he's like, oh shit. Oh shit. Oh shit. And he realizes all of the times Elliot had tried to tell him. Yeah. And he's, like, particularly the best possible outcome moment yeah. and realizes how that was what it was. Tells Margot about the kiss that happened. Because Margot didn't know about that. Elliot mm, had never told her. Right. And Margot's like, that's not, this isn't good. Like, mm -hmm. this is bad. And he was like, I'm so stupid. Like, I'm such an idiot. And she's like, you have to stop putting yourself down because that's part of this. Like, your insecurity issues is part of what's making this hard for you to take in. But, yeah. like, Elliot thinks the world of you <laughs> and always has. And, like... 
this is fixable. This you have to go fix this. So he basically takes the he takes a book guidebook of Paris and is like, I'm gonna go and like runs out the door. Yeah, to this after party at this museum. Yeah. Uh, like an hour away and he runs the whole way. Yeah, and he runs the whole way. So he like runs back into Margot and is like, Wait, where is this museum? And she's like, You're gonna fucking figure it out and he goes, Okay, and like runs. Quentin finds Elliot drinking at a bar. Yep. And this after party alone in a corner. Yep. And he walks up to him and he's like, we have to talk. And Elliot's like, I asked you for one fucking thing. <laughs> and that was space. Get away from me. And Quentin is like, no, no, no. I've talked to Margot. Like, you have to hear me out. And he's like, you have 30 seconds. And he's not about, he's not about it. Nope. And Quentin kind of stumbles through it. And Elliot is like, are you going to spend all 30 seconds stammering? Like you normally do, or you're gonna like get the balls to say something? Which is like going for the jugular. Like he knows Quentin. He knows how to shut him down. Yeah. And Quentin is like, literally has a moment he was like, you know, when Elliot wants to, to shut you down, he goes for the throat. Mm-hmm. And he can't get the words out. Ooh, when he wanted to slash your throat, Elliot wielded a knife expertly. Yeah. And Elliot kind of knows that and like shuts him down. And it's like, Quentin is like, the spell was really secrets. And Elliot was like, no, it wasn't. I know it wasn't. What are you implying here? Like, your 30 seconds are up. And goes to walk, fully walk away from him. Mm-hmm. And Quentin goes, Sunshine. I'm in love with you. And Elliot stops, Coles, and is like, what the fuck did you just say? And he's like, I'm in love with you. <laughs> we, have to read the, we have to read the sentence. The words hit Elliot's retreating form like Hemingway's bankruptcy, gradually. <laughs> then all, suddenly. Then all at once. <laughs> Incredible. And Elliot turns around and is like, and Quentin is like, look, when I said I love you, there and right back in the ward and right now, I meant it. I mean it. And he lays himself on the line. Oh, Absolutely lays so himself brave. out. He's so brave. <laughs> and Elliot short circuits. Yes, he, <laughs> he, like, he breaks. He just Same. breaks him. He just does he literally is like what he, the, he says, Yeah, um I just blacked out a little. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Which is like, and, Je- and Quentin is like genuinely unsure if that was supposed to be a quip or not. And he's like, it's actually leaning towards it not being a quip. Like he literally blacks out for a minute. And they realize that they were talking past each other and that they had both thought the other knew. Yeah. And they didn't. So they have to like reframe everything the other person had done to be like, wait, you didn't know. So under that, like, construct, Mm -hmm. your actions take on a whole different meaning. And they have to hash out a lot of what happened. A lot. Well, there's a long time where Elliot is processing and he doesn't give Quentin any information about whether or not he's still interested in him. Yeah, he never, he doesn't say it back for a period. Yeah, and Quentin is, like, just getting quieter and smaller and, like, retreating into himself and being like, you know, this isn't looking good. Like, I might have missed my chance because I was such an ostrich about this. And um, the thing that kind of actually makes them really talk about it is that moment when Elliot was drunk and kissed him. And he was like, what did you think that was? Like, was, do you think I was just asking you to, like, come braid my hair? And Quentin was like, I thought you were too drunk to say yes. And Elliot, like, throws at him, like, this isn't a, you know, sexual assault PSA. Mm-hmm. Like, I clearly wanted it. And Quentin was like, no. Like, I, first of all, you were too drunk to say yes. Second of all, it wouldn't have been the first time that you had a drunken dress with somebody and it meant nothing. And Elliot was like, don't throw that shit at me. Like, I will never apologize for who I am. I'm now dealing with the fact that what I thought was a rejection apparently fucking wasn't. And like, that was a big moment for me. And I was hurting a lot from that. And Quentin's like, I'm not saying I'm sorry for, you know, doing the right thing here. But Elliot's like, whatever. 
So when Elliot had said in the ward, oh, it's easy for you, it's yeah. because he thought Quentin didn't have any feelings for him. Right, so it'd be easy to just say so the So it was and... so harmful. Yeah. And then Elliot is like, oh, fuck. That was so... Like, what do you think of me? That I said that to you. Oh, yeah. And Quentin just gets even smaller. Oh. And, like, quieter. And is like, I might have overreacted a little bit, but he was so hurt by that. I'm such... I'm in such pain right now. They had to... Just reliving that. I know. They have to, like... And Elliot is like, oh, my God. I'm so sorry. Like, if I had known... And they both start to apologize to each other. And Elliot is like, no, no, no. Like, don't apologize. Like, stop apologizing. And then they're like, well... We clearly need to work on our communication skills, but how? And Quentin's like, okay, well, how do you feel about me? Can you say it out loud? <laughs> and then another character comes and interrupts them as Elliot is about to, like, you know, actually say what he feels. And they just kind of lose it. <laughs> they get a fit of the church giggles, as I would say. And yep. it's just been such a crazy fucking day that they both kind of lose it a little bit. And then they, like, fully walk away from her. And yep. they're like, nope, we're done. So they go upstairs where it's quieter, and that's where they really hash it out. Make out a lot. They make out a lot, and it's really, like, monumental or whatever. And Elliot is really, really happy. So Quentin realizes that the drink that Elliot's been drinking this whole time is actually, like, a broken heart potion <laughs> kind of thing. And Quentin's like, I need to apologize to you for hurting you, even if I didn't know it. And Elliot's like, it's fine, it's fine. He's like, it's really not. Like, how could I have done this? And he's like, I must be really fucking broken if I couldn't even, you know, realize. And Elliot's like, no, 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 we're the same because I <laughs> thought the same of you. And Quentin's like, no, like, do you remember the conversation where I said this was the best possible outcome? And Elliot clearly remembers that. Yep. And is like, yeah, I didn't love that. And Quentin is like, I figured that was the best possible outcome for this scenario because why would you ever choose me? <laughs> and Elliot has a moment of like, what? Like... Because you're the best person I know, like, and he loves him so much. And he gets angry. Gets really angry that oh. Quentin would think of himself and he's like, all right, moment over. We're going to talk about how <laughs> you need to stop looking down on yourself like this because I think the fucking world of you. And it's not a compliment to me when you put yourself down like that. And Quentin is like, I'm sorry. I don't know. I don't know what to do with this. I've never, I've never done this. Like, I don't know what it is. And Elliot's like, well, then just let me tell you every day how much I love you. <laughs> And Quentin kind of makes a joke out of it. And he's like, nope, I'm going to do it. So they have that moment. And then Quentin makes Elliot cop to using Guillermo to try to make him jealous. And Elliot's like, you know, you having a boyfriend was a big fucking wake up call for me. And I wanted to see if me having a boyfriend would make you jealous in return. And he was like, you cannot play with me like this. You cannot play games. And Elliot pushes back on it first. He's like, it's not a game. And then he was like, Okay. Because he realizes to Quentin it is. Yeah. So they hash all that out and then they kiss and <laughs> Elliot's like, all right, they kind of settle through their conversation. And then Elliot's like, well, what now? And Quentin starts going, well, I guess we should have a really in-depth discussion about terms and what we want long term. And Elliot's like, no, where are we banging? <laughs> Which is like such a great. Absolutely. Such a great moment. And Quentin's like, oh, 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 um, we could go back to the hotel. Nope. Both of our hotel rooms have people in them. Um, we could, um, why don't we go home? And Elliot's like, we're in Paris. You don't want to go get, like, a shitty motel room in Paris? <laughs> and he's like, I want to be in your bed. It's all I really want. And Elliot just, like, loses his mind. Why would you do this to me? And he's like, yep, I want nothing else but that. Thank you. And so they go home and they bang. It feels wrong calling it that. Like, yeah. they really, they really just sort of, like, have a deeply loving it, it fades to black, and you don't really see 
what they do, but it's implied that they have like really sexual relations, sex, yeah, (laughs) but deeply emotional sex, which after a lot of pining and heart and all that kind of stuff. So it's quite the release of emotion for them. Okay, thanks for taking over that part, Erin. I think I think I can. Can you wrap it up? I might be able to close this out. Great. After that, shortly after the like the main uh, problem has been resolved. Now they are together and like yeah, they're still working through a few things, but. You know, it's all cutesy. There's PDA and stuff. They then have to deal with what Julia and Margot did to them with the secrets magic because it was very, like, traumatic to both of them. Right. It was and, like, deeply manipulative. And despite the fact that it was done with their interests at heart, it was still fucked up. So there's... They, they could have destroyed them. They almost they, did. They destroyed me. Yeah. <laughs> well, they could have truly destroyed any remaining any, hope, any hope of, of a relationship. It, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And so they, like, Julia has a conversation with them and... Uh, she and Elliot start to really go at it and have this fight and Julia being like, I'm not going to apologize because obviously it worked out and like I was doing what I thought was right and all of this stuff and Elliot was really angry and just fighting around Julia like you have no right to do that um, and all this stuff and Quentin has to tell Julia like I know you did it, your heart was in the right place but things got really bad before they started to get better. Mm-hmm. And Julia deflates and she doesn't know exactly what happened but kind right. of understands the gist and apologize and said, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done it that way. Mm-hmm. And Elliot, like, kind of takes that and, like, okay. Mm-hmm. And for now, they're, they're on thin ice, you know, right. him, Elliot, Elliot and Julia, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. And Margo comes back, and Elliot and Margo have this whole, like, it's not even like an actual argument. Like, yeah. Elliot is throwing all these things at her, and what, is she, what does Margo do? She brings her own version of Julia's note. That's right. <laughs> she gives Elliot a note. And it's so it's it's framed in such a loving way. And, like, she gives the note. She tells Elliot, like, I wrote a note when, jo- when Julia wrote a note for Quentin. And I wrote one as well. And, like, she has tears in her eyes. And her eyes are red. And she gives it to Elliot. And Elliot just stares at it. <laughs> yeah. And it says, and I quote, don't cock out, motherfucker. That's it. <laughs> with a doodle of a giant penis. <laughs> with what was the, the Eiffel Tower for scale. Yeah. And that's the thing that, like, reconciles their friendship, basically. Yeah, and Elliot then is like, you're doing, you're my doing laundry, laundry for, for a, a month. month. My terms, like, with my spells, the way I want it. Yeah. And she throws back two weeks. And they settle on three. Yeah. And then they hug it out. And they're fine. And they're fine. And it absolutely 100% shows where that miscommunication comes from. Yeah. For Quentin and Elliot. Because Quentin and Julia had to, like, actually use words and hash out every feeling mm-hmm. that they had. And they had a moment where they're like, we might have to talk through this a couple of more times to really, like, get past this. Yeah. They have this, like, really emotionally vulnerable but, like, straightforward conversation. Right. Quentin can't even fucking understand what's happening with <laughs> Elliot and Margot because it's not verbal. Right. Like, they do not talk about it. They just know each other and like yeah. they just are like okay this great and then they're done and then they are back to normal like yeah. they're back to totally cool and i was like oh this is what it's getting at when they're talking about communication being so difficult because yeah. like elliot was like i don't want to do that with julia like it actually didn't help him to talk things out with julia no right but he was able to resolve things with margo right away yeah because they speak that they have this language of you know mm-hmm. care and understanding that they don't really have to do things that way but it's so funny because Quentin is like, wait, is it better now? And they're like, yeah, we're good. <laughs> and he's like, how? Yep. <laughs> he didn't talk about anything. Yeah. And then from there on, the fic delivers on the rom-comness of it all. Like, it takes 14 chapters to get there. Fucking hell. And They get together. They, they get are, together. You know, they go to some parties together as a couple and Quentin kind of comes into his own. 
Um, Todd has to make his apology tour for the, um, for the dinner. For the dinner. And he was like, I still don't, he comes up to Quentin and Elliot and Elliot's like, I don't want to talk to you. And Todd's like, well, I owe you an apology. I already apologized to Margo. I still don't think you deserve Quentin. And Elliot goes, yeah, I fucking know that, Todd. Like, I don't deserve him. And he's like, as long as you know that, we're good. And they kind of settle the score. Yeah. Quentin and Todd have a conversation where Todd is like, I'm so proud of you for getting through this year. Like, mm-hmm. I hope you know that not everybody gets a student guide when they show up. It's And Quentin is like, yeah, it's only for the vulnerable ones, right? And he was like, yeah, I didn't want to come out and say it. But like, that's <laughs> basically what it is. And he's like, well, I figured it wasn't because I was so self-assured. <laughs> um, and Todd was like, well, I'm really proud of you. And they have this really great moment of friendship. One of the things I love about her writing is that she always does her chapters and then she does a coda and an epilogue. The coda and the epilogue are each longer than regular chapters, which is not what a coda is supposed to be. Nope. <laughs> it makes me so happy because it's like its own novel. I felt, I like, I, I went to sleep before the coda because I was like, great, I, I can wake up tomorrow and think, like, that was the point where I was like, they are in bed, they are cuddling, tomorrow morning I will wake up and I can be, be happy. Great. Yeah. No. Um, holy shit, it was, it took, like, three hours, literally, for me to finish reading the Lakota and the fucking epilogue. Yeah, uh, they're super long. Oh, yeah. the coda is everything that we just talked about. Yeah, so that was, that's the end of the fic proper, and then the epilogue is essentially vignettes of the next year, of Quentin's second year, and of Elliot and Margot's senior year. Mm-hmm. And a lot of things happen, but, like, there's so much to talk about, but it's all really, like, not small things, but just small windows, slice of life, essentially. Right. So read the read that if yeah. you're reading this, because you'll need it. Nice little medicine. Yeah, it sort of wraps up, and they sort of figure out what their next steps are. And it yeah. ends with them, you know, Elliot getting an offer to go work at a museum in London. Yeah. And him basically saying, I'm not going to take it. I'm going to move to New York with Margot. We're going to have our lives close by. I'm not going to leave you. And Quentin is like, you're being a chicken shit right now. Yeah. Like, he was like, no, no, no. And Elliot's like, I'm trying to be selfless, you fucker. Like, (laughs) I'm trying to prioritize you. And he was like, no, 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 you're running away, which is something that you do. And I'm not going to let you do it. If you have to go start our lives and I have to come find you later, then that's what we're going to do. But you are not going to walk away from something that could be really good for you, only to resent me for it in three years. (laughs) And Elliot's like, okay, so they decide that that's what they're going to do, and that's sort of the next step. You know, that's where it kind of ends. This this chapter of it closes on, they've gra- Elliot has graduated, Quentin is moving forward towards the end of his time at Bright Bills. They are figuring out what's next. Yes. And that's the end of it. Oh, no, I thought it was good. <laughs> I'm going to fucking murder you. <laughs> Can you imagine if you were like, 2.1? I, no, I'd be like a 2.8. I hate you. I... This fic destroyed me in so many ways. It was so painful. Uh And the whole time I was literally in pain, I kept cursing your name. Because I was like, (laughs) I know that this is the shit she lives for. So while she's having a good old time being miserable, here I am just hating my life. Uh You're welcome. I'm Um, sorry. So this is the third The Magician's uh, fic that I've read for you for this show. Um, obviously the one I've liked the most. Uh-huh. Um, and I think that this is what I'm going to, this is the universe of the magicians that I'm going to live in. This is mm-hmm. the one I'm going to choose to be like, that's the, what the magicians is. Yeah. Like, I don't, I, I have no desire to go and find out anything else. Like this, yeah. to me, this is, this is canon now. Yeah. Which is such I'm an interesting you. thing. Yeah. It, um, I loved all the characters, mm-hmm. like, despite not knowing them, like, because they're, they're written so well and like, 
like you said, they like they're all individuals and they all have their own relationship to each other and how they interact is very true to they who they are as a person. And I don't mm-hmm. know about like canon or anything else, but like who they are in this narrative, the way that Margot reacts to something that Julia says is accurate. The way mm-hmm. that Elliot reacts to something that Quentin does is super accurate to his characterization. And that world building is incredible and phenomenal and this is also one of those fics that just nails the fucking narrative for me where it's like a good amount of action of things actually happening um as well as a a great amount of dialogue and it's it's so good this is one of my favorite fics that i've ever read wow and i hate you for it (laughs) you're welcome um sorry yeah i so what would you rate it out of five (laughs) 4.3. 4.3. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's a, it's a five. Yeah! I have two. <laughs> <Fuck that. laughs> I just really love winning, guys. Oh. Although I wish th- this is higher than little numbers. It's, oh, really? Yes, absolutely. 100%. I would, yeah, I would agree. There's something to be said about a fic when you're finished. Even my favorite fics of all time, I feel like I'm good like once I'm finished mm-hmm. I'm done and I feel like satisfied and I'm like okay I'm good to like take a moment mm-hmm. to breathe and then I'll move on to something else this fic almost makes me not to want to leave this these characters uh-huh. and these like situations and like I love them yeah which is it's so fucking really weird good. it's for really some, good it's so fucking weird for something that I don't yeah that I for people I don't know that's really cool all right I think I think we've talked plenty <laughs> I think we have talked plenty. I think I'm so glad that you liked it as much as you did. I'm sorry I broke you. I I love you. And like, this is 95% joking and 5% serious. I hate you for what you've done to me. You're welcome. (laughs) Yeah. It's just one of those, it's one of those really interesting things where I like, again, I, I self insert into almost everything Mm -hmm. I read and it's really hard to pull out of something when it's written really fucking well. And it's like, yeah. I need a break right now. Like, mm-hmm. I need to not read anything. I need to, like, watch a funny video. I need to watch... The, uh, everything is nice and okay with That's the world. That's fair. I have recently backed away a little bit from Qualiet. Yeah. Just for that reason of, like, I am hyperfixating on this dynamic mm-hmm. that is hard for me to deal with. Yeah. With the, like, I would really like for somebody to come along and just see me for who I am. Yeah. And, like, have that moment of, like, oh, someone really is into me. And, like, all that kind of stuff. And, like, Quentin having this moment of, like, why would you ever choose me is something that resonates so strongly yeah. with me in particular. And, like, it, this fic hit me at a time where I was going through what was really my first, like, time being dumped. Oh, and my I first can. sort of, like, thing. And I think I projected a lot onto that yeah. real-life relationship because oh, of this. Yeah. Where I was, like, it reinforced some negative self-image stuff in my right. head in a really Same. weird way. But I was also able to kind of, like, come through that. I went to therapy. Like, I went to my therapist. And I, like, talked about it. And I was like, this is a thing. I've been journaling a lot. And, like, the phrase, like, you are not broken is important to me right now. And, like, you can choose yourself has been really important to me. So, like, yeah. I totally get that, like, sometimes this is not actually a good thing to have yeah. when you are in that space. But it is also the flip of that being seen in that way and yeah. feeling seen in a narrative 100% is so important like this doesn't happen in TV no you don't get queer relationships with this much depth Mm-mm. and like authenticity and pain and but also joy like you don't get that from TV mm-hmm. so to have two queer characters talk about how they feel broken but they're still okay I literally come to her I was like this means so much to me like it is so important to me that this exists so, like, it's kind of riding a line of, like, I don't want to torture myself with this, but it's also really important. Yeah. 
So yeah, and that's a really it's a really interesting conversation. I feel one uh, you and I have had a lot. Yeah. Um, and it just remains continues to be true. Yeah. It was wonderful, and yeah. thank you for sharing that with You're me. Welcome. Great. Well. If you've got, if you've made it to the end of this episode, God bless you. God bless you, and thank you for for following along. And I apologize for those fifteen minutes in which Aaron was recounting the story, and I was a puddle of sobs and whining <laughs> over here. So everyone, journal. Go to your therapist. Go to your therapist. Uh, don't get so lost in fan fiction that you like lose track of who you are. But also let that let. Let yourself feel things. Yeah. Because it is actually really important to feel things sometimes. I think that that's a good way to get good way to end it. Great. Alright. So if you like this, please make sure you like review and rate us so that other people can find the mm-hmm. podcast. Tell your friends who you talk about fan fiction or mm-hmm. like any of your readers if you are fan fiction writers. Come out to your friends as a fanfic reader. <laughs> we did it. Like great. we did. <laughs> and tell them to listen to this podcast. Also follow us on Tumblr and Twitter. Yeah. At the Fic List or at the Fic List Podcast.tumblr. Aaron's very good about making sure that we're active on those. Yeah. Reach out. Also let us know if there's a like a ship you want us to mm-hmm. like read, a tag, or send us a fic that you want us yeah, to read and review. Because we got to get out of our little comfort zone. That's yeah. a thing that we're learning. Yeah. So Aaron is hereby officially banned from <laughs> sending me the same fandom to like in the same episode. <laughs> uh, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you got to send us fics that you like, so that way we can read them and review them and get out of our little. Because you know, you when you're. So in a fandom, it's hard to branch out. So it is. Yeah. Send us your recommendations of stuff to try that are new and exciting. We'll see you guys on the next episode. See ya. Bye.